Welcome to Talk No Jutsu. I'm Smug Donuts here with my wife, Spiral Fishcake, and we're here to talk about anime. Anime is an important part of our culture! On this episode, we're going to talk about our trip to the Indiana Comic Convention. Then we're going to talk about manga we've been reading and anime we've been watching recently, like My Hero Academia Season 5, Dragon Maid S, Spirited Away, My Senpai is Annoying, and more. So like Smug Donuts said, we went to Indiana Comic Con yesterday and we got to do a lot of fun things there. So we went to some panels. We went to a cosplay contest. We were able to see a bunch of art that was there. There was a ton to do. In terms of anime stuff, they had some really good anime stuff there. I was so excited to see all that. I wasn't sure how much anime related stuff there there would be there, but there was a lot. Yeah, there was a ton of anime voice actors that attended. Yeah. And there were a ton of anime posters and stuff. I was expecting a lot more comics at Comic-Con, but it seemed like the exhibition hall was cut up into multiple spaces. There's also a lot of anime cosplays, too. I was very proud and excited to see all of that. It was awesome. Some people did some great jobs. But let's first talk about the panels that we went to, the Q&As we saw. So our first one that we saw was Melee Flanagan. The voice of Naruto. Yes, the voice of Naruto. And I was so excited to go to that because obviously I love Naruto. And (laughs) I don't think I'd ever really heard her talk just as herself. I'd never seen interviews with her really. So it was funny when she got up there and I'm like, girl, this is obviously the voice of Naruto. She just talks regularly and sounds pretty much like Naruto. She just drops her voice, I think, a little bit lower to play him. Mm -hmm. But she basically just sounds like him in her everyday life. She was talking about how people will recognize her and she's at the gas station or at a store and people have recognized her and she seems surprised by that. And I was just sitting there thinking like, why are you surprised? You sound exactly like him and you just can't help it yeah it's crazy it's, she's like oh i only talked like once or twice and then they were like are you naruto <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like i don't know that raspy voice only comes out of one person on this earth well and some of us are crazy like myself who is able to identify christopher patton's voice mm-hmm. in a show just by how he breathed one time oh my word that so. was wild <laughs> what, what show was that i forget what show it was but he made a breath sound like he sighed or something and i was just like oh my gosh that's christopher Patton." so some people are crazy like me and just know so that's probably why she's she's getting recognized what did you think of her q a what were your thoughts on it i thought she was really funny like <laughs> i thought was. that um <laughs> yeah she just <laughs> kept on telling really goofy stories about like just complaining about how many video games she was recorded <laughs> and like how many times she had to say rosenga I did not realize there were 46, 45 Naruto video games. Yeah, there's there was a like lot, 10. apparently. I thought there was like 10 Naruto video well, you games. you gotta put together like the mobile games, too. There are Naruto mobile games? Yeah. Some of them don't have the rights to Naruto directly. They're not from the company, so they have to get the rights themselves mm-hmm. by recording the content themselves. They can't just rip the voice straight from the video games. That's what she was saying. She was saying how different people own different things, so she has to say it multiple different times for multiple different people. Oh, that's all coming together now. 
Yeah, she was so funny, though. She reminded me of 12-year-old Naruto. (laughs) (laughs) She just had that energy. Like, she was kind of jokey and teasing people a little bit. She's also in Lab Rats, which is a Disney Channel show, which Mm, I've never seen. Principal Perry. That was after our Disney Channel time. But all of the younger people were lining up asking questions. It was a QA. and a yeah. They were all asking questions about lab rats. There was a solid quarter of the time where yeah. the questions were about lab rats. Yeah, and she would talk about how on Disney Channel she would play practical jokes to people on set. <laughs> and it was just so funny. Her energy was just so 12-year-old Naruto. It was really cracking yeah, me up. Yeah, for real. It's like she literally was born to play that role. <laughs> yeah. But she... She was funny, too, because she would talk about, like you said, all the times where she kind of say Rosengon. And then she also talked about Believe It. And she said she liked Believe It, but they told her it was a licensing issue as to why they got rid of it. She's like, I think the fans just may have thought it was annoying. <laughs> I think that's what it was. But she said that she tried to sneak it in yeah. wherever she could. Which I thought was pretty cool. I thought that was funny when she was saying that. She'd try to be like, oh, Kakashi, we're going to go on a journey together. Believe it. <laughs> and they're like, no, re-record no, that one. No, can't put that there. <laughs> and I felt like you could tell that she enjoys playing Naruto. But I also felt like you could tell that she enjoyed being asked about Lab Rats, too. Yeah, she seems to really like her live action stuff. Like she kind of lit up talking about doing live action stuff and all the things that she gets to do with that. But then also she seemed like the live action stuff was stressful and difficult. Right. She was talking about recording for the Mindy Project and they're out in L.A. in the scorching heat, 100 degree heat out in the mountains or something and there was rattlesnakes that they're trying to tame (laughs) they had professional rattlesnake tamers and people are like fainting on set (laughs) the extras are going down (laughs) it's like geez i know how bad actors have it and they don't get paid very much right the extras the extras they work all day they don't get lunch there's just so much it's horrible for some of the people but she seems to really light up at the idea of doing it so I thought it was interesting to learn that a lot of voice dubbing is done alone. Yeah. She was bringing up the differences between American and Japanese voice dubbing. The shade. She threw some shade at Japanese voice acting. She was like, yeah, you know, the dubs, we really care about it matching up with the flaps, with the mouth flaps when they're talking. Japanese voice acting, they don't care as much about that. (laughs) It's like, oh, girl. Throwing shade. I see how it is. I would totally be like that if I was a dub voice actor, though. I would totally be defending dubbing all the way. I feel like I do that now and I just watch dubs. I wonder if part of that is because back in the day, people used to parody old Japanese movies where people would be like, now go after them. And their mouth would continue moving for like 10 seconds. Yeah, (laughs) which is so silly. Anime is not like like that. But I did think it was interesting to learn that she doesn't get a ton of time to record with other people. And I wonder why they do that differently. Because I know in Japan, they record together. But here they record separately. I don't know if maybe it's just easier because they're recording a translation of something. Yeah, I don't know. Whereas in Japan, they're recording the actual I think it's just a cultural thing. You think so? Yeah, I think that it's just more acceptable here 
for people to record separately. And not only that, but voice actors might be anywhere around the country. So That's like, true. It's possible that they can't make it to the studio easily. Like I know plenty of people will do Tara Strong remotely. She records in her own house a lot of the time. She has a studio there. I think it was also interesting hearing her talk about how she's been playing him for so long. And when she realized different times of how big Naruto really was, she said that she had gone to a convention or something and then she had seen that there were like 30 people dressed up as Naruto altogether and how crazy that was. And she also said there was a couple times where she's been out in public and somebody had recognized her and had said like, oh, this made my day or like this made my year meeting her and how cool that was. And two, how she's said that since the pandemic, more people have been getting into Naruto and anime in general, how she's been seeing so many more t-shirts of it and just realizing how big it just keeps on getting and how big it's been for so long. I thought that was cool to hear. Yeah, it's crazy to think that she was saying that it was really small. Like, oh, we're just going to record for a small project. That's what she was told (laughs) at the beginning. (laughs) She was lied to. (laughs) (laughs) And then she finishes recording for it, finds out that it's this huge thing like pretty immediately. It's so crazy. I just can't imagine signing up for something I thought would be a small project. And then here you are like 15 years later still doing it. That's insane. But there were a lot of people wearing Naruto t-shirts at the convention, myself included. So I was surprised to see how many. Also, it was so cool. She had someone do the Naruto run, which is apparently like a tradition of hers at every panel. If there's somebody dressed as Naruto, she has them do the Naruto run. And there was. There was a kid dressed as Naruto, which I thought was pretty cool. It was also funny hearing her make all the different sounds that Naruto makes. Like the, hmm, huh. Like, all those different stuff. The stuff that we don't really do in English. No, I just thought that was really funny. It made me think of that episode where he's like, I haven't a clue what's going on here, but I act like I do. Because before that, Hmm. he's like, hmm, Mm hmm, hmm, And (laughs) then he says that line. I just thought that was funny. Another thing I really liked from what she said was somebody had asked her if there was any really weird or uncomfortable things she had to say. And she said she couldn't believe that they had made her have diarrhea one whole episode. And then she also said, I love you, Sasuke. And then she's like, wait, that actually feels very comfortable. (laughs) Or something like that. That was so funny. That was too much. (laughs) No. (laughs) That was so funny. Something she said that was slightly controversial. Mm -hmm. And I know you said that it's not exactly what she said. But she basically said that Naruto is not a good dad. That's not exactly what she said. Okay, say exactly what she said. Because I heard differently than what you did. And we have this all recorded. So we can prove what she said one way or the other. But but like she said that at the beginning, at that, she said at that point in the story. In Boruto. At that point in the story in Boruto, Naruto seems like kind of a bad dad. Hmm. She didn't say, Naruto is such a horrible father. Look at how bad of a dad he is. (laughs) I will trust that that's what she said. But I remember just her hearing like, well, Naruto is kind of a bad dad or something like that. We'll have to listen back to the tapes. But yeah, I was like, ooh, dang. Even his voice actors is shading him and how he's bad dad. But he's not. He's a great dad. He loves his children very much. Been to all of his children's birthdays. We don't talk about that here. Got great <laughs> presents for his children. <laughs> we don't talk about that here. He is busy being Hokage. He's a good dad. 
He he obviously cares about his family. That's why he's trying to protect Konoha. Is always there for his son and daughter spending okay, time with them. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Throwing a little shade at Naruto. I do love Naruto. <laughs> I just want to say I would never hate on Naruto. It's just I feel like you're kind of missing part of the point of Boruto if you think that he was a perfect dad. He spent way more time with his kids so far than his dad spent with him. So. <laughs> Okay, he also didn't lock a a fox demon inside of his kid's belly. Yeah, why are the we... The bar is on the floor. <laughs> why do people always talk about how great Minato is? He put a demon in his son. But anyway, I loved it when the guy... There's another guy that asked the question. He was like, when will I get to see Minato Naruto pre-generations? And she was just like, I don't know. I hope it happens. I got a house to pay for. Then she was talking about how they were joking. They always joke about talking about Boruto's son and then like continuing on (laughs) for just generations until forever. Naruto the old series. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was gotta be Hokage, believe it. <laughs> it was funny hearing her try to do an impersonation of the Naruto old. That was cracking me up. Someone also tried to ask her to do an impersonation of another character from the show, and she was just like, What with this voice? <laughs> and then she tried to do Hinata, and she just went like, Hee hee hee. That was great. That was great. What voice did she do at first? I think she tried to do Sai's voice. She seems to really like Sai. I don't get why. She seems to have like a guilty pleasure kind of like of Sai. She's like, he's so weird. And he she will not stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah, she said that was one of her favorite arcs was with Sai. She was just like, I like all that weird stuff with Sai. It was funny. It was cracked me up when someone was like, who's your favorite Naruto character? And she was like... <laughs> Naruto? <laughs> Obviously. Why did you ask that? <laughs> well, she did say Choji was her second favorite, which, which I love Choji Which voice did too. you hope to get in the audition? <laughs> well, gee, the lead. <laughs> the Naruto. <laughs> did you audition? Who'd you audition for? The lead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was a great time. So we also got to see Sean Chamel, who is the voice actor for Goku, which is really cool. He kept up a really high energy and he was like getting philosophical. And every person that came up to the mic to ask him a question, he would try to connect with them on a personal level or try to connect with them, making a little joke about them, trying to lighten up the situation. It was funny. Yeah, like there's Make a, them less nervous. He is curly hair. There's another guy that came up with curly hair and he was just like, hey, curly hair, we're, we're the same. And he was like, curly hair brothers for life. Yeah. <laughs> it was cute. It was cute. I liked that. I appreciated that. He was very high energy. And one of the things that he had mentioned was because somebody thanked him for being part of Dragon Ball so he can pass it down to his kids and like how much of an impact he's had. And he was talking about how he wonders how much of it is actually like his voice being meaningful and bringing life to the character versus how much is it just the character. And I will say, I definitely think it is a lot of it is his voice because I've heard the sub of Goku. And when I hear the sub of Goku, I'm like, that's not Goku. Where's my Goku? I would say the sub of Goku is one of the weirdest experiences in terms of sub versus dub that you could have if you grew up with goku there's no going to the sub i don't think you can 
I think it's totally fair to say, oh, sometimes it's good to watch the sub to get the intended experience for the director. But legitimately, if you grew up with a dub for Goku, he he's played by a woman and it his voice is high, way higher than you would expect. I'm sure she does a good job, but there's some kind of disconnect there seeing a grown man that you're used to sounding like grunting and screaming. Yeah. (laughs) that just does not make sense coming from somebody who normally voices i think children's voices maybe that's why is that originally she voiced him in dragon ball when he was a child but like it just does not make a ton of sense it's like you were saying with luffy how you weren't expecting him to be a child voice yeah it sounds like a woman or a child's voice with goku yeah, but his voice, it's crazy because Naruto, I didn't start watching until a couple of years ago, so I watched it as an adult. But Dragon Ball Z was one of the first things I've ever, I'd ever seen as a kid, like first anime. And so it was, it was cool because this is somebody whose voice I've heard for so long in my, in my life. And it's just crazy seeing somebody that has been a big part of childhood in, in a lot of ways. And it was interesting, too, hearing him talk. Mainly, it's very obvious, like, that's Naruto him he would talk and i don't think i would if i heard him talking in a crowd i don't think i would be able to be like oh that's the voice of goku there are some times where he would be saying something and it would sound just like like either just like goku or like just like a deeper version of goku yeah he would slip into it sometimes and i'd be like okay cool yes i can hear it and that was neat it was weird experience though for me because some people would be asking specific questions about broly or about um, Dragon Ball Z or something and there were things that I don't totally remember happening because it's been so long since I saw it so it was weird because I, I feel like Dragon Ball Z was such an important part of my childhood but at the same time I don't remember it as much it was weird being at his and versus Melee's because I feel like I remember so much about Naruto but it felt like really nostalgic to be at his panel, even though there I don't remember the show as well. Like as kids, my brother and I had these <laughs> Dragon Ball Z walkie-talkies. I think one one was Goku and one was Vegeta, and we would talk to each other at them at night when we had separate rooms and stuff. Which is funny because that seemed to be his favorite part about recording for Dragon Ball Z is that he seemed to have a really good relation with Chris Bot, and he seemed to really liken the show, the relationship between Goku and Vegeta. He, he even right. said he thought that he was more of a Vegeta and that Christopher Sabat Sabat, yeah. was more of a Goku sometimes. Although he did say he felt like he close, most closely related to Goku and right. felt like he was like Goku. I thought that was funny hearing him talk about his relationship with Sabat, who voices Vegeta. It seemed like he was able to have more community with all the voice actors. Yeah, I wonder if they ever recorded together. Yeah, whereas Maylee, it seemed like she didn't have as much community with her fellow voice actors, which I thought I was kind of sad. Her, I didn't hear her talk about other voice actors almost ever, yeah. other than to say that she hadn't seen them in a long time. Yeah, she she did say that she respected them and that they all got along. Yeah, she said that they got along swimmingly. Yeah, that they got along well, but it didn't seem like there was that personal relationship like it seemed that Sean has with Sabat and, and some others. So. But yeah, his was really cool. I mean, it, it was funny hearing him do the Shadow the Hedgehog voice. He seemed to have a really big passion for making a lot of different voices yes. um, and seeing what he could do with his voice and impersonating people 
and doing deeper voices, doing smoother voices. He would just do crazy, crazy voices. And it was really fun. It was really fun seeing somebody who just seems so passionate about anime and about Dragon Ball and about being a voice actor in general. He just seemed so excited about it. And Mm -hmm. that was really cool. He just seemed like he really loves what he does and he really appreciates the Dragon Ball fandom. It was cool to hear that it was his first job in voice acting being Goku. And he just hops into it and it's this little show on TV that he thought that it was going to be like this huge thing because I'm on TV. Oh, my gosh. But anime at the time that that came out back in, I think he said 98. Yes. Back in 98, it was not that big. It was hard to get a hold of. Once you watch it on TV, you're not going to be able to see it again because how do you get the home video release or whatever? There isn't one. And so it's really hard to watch it. But then over time, thanks to partially because of the internet and because of streaming and stuff and social media, it just got so big. And now there's a ton of people watching it and it's super easy to get a hold of. And I feel like he more feels like how he expected to (laughs) at the beginning where (laughs) people are coming to get his signatures stuff and well because when we watched it as kids it was on Toonami and he said that he was recording like 12 hour days for when it was on Toonami so he could keep up with it I believe which was insane because I think it was on was it on like every day I think while they were catching up originally it might have been on after school every day because I know Pokemon was on every day well I guess when I say after school what I mean is three eastern time (laughs) (laughs) 3 30 eastern time yeah it was funny too hearing him talk about when he realized it was big is he went to some store that was playing like dragon ball z on all of the monitors and he was like oh that was that's me that's me talking yeah she was like oh i get really deep into that thought like how many people have heard my voice how yeah. many people have that the sound waves of my voice entered their ear and i'm <laughs> affecting their childhood and that's a huge responsibility yeah <laughs> but then he was like but then my brain explodes like trying to do that math and i'm like you know what it'll be all right it's a cartoon <laughs> yeah but i mean those things really impact people like i genuinely feel like Dragon Ball Z was a big impact on my childhood. I mean, it was a huge deal. And I know for a lot of people, Naruto really impacted their childhood. I thought overall, both panels were really good. There was a lot of really good standout moments. What would you say was your most standout moment from Meili's panel? What was the most standout moment from Sean's panel? I'd say the most standout moment on the melee panel was when she was talking about meeting people in person and how excited she got meeting them and uh, like she would talk about specific stories one person who seemed really mean as they were approaching her and oh the one that just stared her down that stared her down and looked really tough and big but then as he got closer she realized that he was trying to give her something and he gave her this nice jewelry that he made her or something Um, yeah it was a pouch and it had a poem on it then it had a poem that she he made her yeah that was really sweet there was another one where this guy came up on the other side of the not so nice that what was talking to her about how she had a raspy voice and maybe he just didn't know her or something and like not understand and he was like you should really drink some water and she's like no that this is how i sound she's like but you're gonna hurt your voice you should really drink some water and that like went on for five minutes where he kept telling her (laughs) Yeah, that was really funny. 
I would say the moment that stood out for me was just all the times I think that you could tell that she really loved being Naruto, like yeah. loves her character. She would kind of say things like, oh, you know, it's hard for me. I don't necessarily go back and watch the episodes and stuff because I don't like hearing my own voice all the time. But then she would also talk about like, well, the pain arc was the best arc and like this is the best. Like, I thought that that was cool. You could tell that she definitely loves Naruto. And I also thought it was interesting when she talked about the emotional part of it and like, connecting with him emotionally, like she relating to him. And also when somebody had asked when was it a emotional time and then she had talked about how she had to record Naruto meeting his parents after her mom had died recently which that was that was sad that must have been really tough yeah so I think it just stood out to me like whenever she would talk about how she would like light up when she would talk about being Naruto even when she was kind of joking around about it like do you know how many times I said Rasengan like you could tell just like feel that she she loved it and then when she talked about relating to him emotionally those things stood out to me and then for me, with Sean, I felt like it stood out to me whenever he would talk about the impact of Dragon Ball. And he just seemed so excited and happy to have been a part of this and to still mm-hmm. be a part of it. He just seemed like he really was grateful to be a part of it and that he just really loves being a voice actor. And he was talking about hooks and how he really liked hooks and, and people's voices, like accents, and things like that. And just the more he would talk about it, the more I'm like, man, this is a guy who is in love with being a voice actor and yeah when when he says like hooks he means something that would get you to be able to sound like that person like something about somebody's voice that you could remember that you could hook into the voice so it might be hard to imitate somebody if they don't have something that you can remember and go back to and be like oh okay that part of his voice sounded like this so I can hook into it. My favorite part of the Sean panel was when he was talking about the stuff that he did with the other voice actors. Somebody came up and asked him about a, uh, a, of, <laughs> are you going to laugh or not? <laughs> are you talking about, I'm sorry. Are you talking about when he told the story about taking an Ambien? <laughs> so he, somebody came up and asked him about this time that he did a video where he was pretending to do Step Brothers and some other movies, doing scenes from that with the other voice actors, but in voices from Dragon Ball. And he seemed to really love that question. And he <laughs> said that he was on drugs during that part, though, because <laughs> he had taken an Ambien. And this is before people knew that Ambien was so strong. Right. And so he was on Ambien. And Christopher Sabat was like, we should do this thing where we pretend we do this thing for the video. And he was like, I don't know, I don't do that stuff, but they convinced him to do it. And then he started doing lines from recent movies in the King Kai voice. That was so funny. it was really funny. That was so funny. He did a great job. He's cracking me up. So we didn't just go to voice actor panels while we were there. No, we didn't. We also went to a cosplay contest, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, and there was really cool cosplay all day. There was. There were some Soul Eater costumes. There was a Maka cosplay, which was really cool. Like She had the scythe and everything, which was pretty awesome. It was so accurate. It was. She did a fantastic job. She had these cool boots, too. There were also a lot of Demon Slayer cosplay. Yeah, Demon Slayer seemed to be the, the number one thing. 
right. in terms of anime. There were so many Nezuko, so, so much Tanjiro. Many, so many. There's also a c- couple Naofumi cosplayers, which mm-hmm. I, I thought that was kind of unexpected. surprising. And uh, yeah. Yeah. There was a Miku that almost helped us get in by opening yeah. the door, but we went around. Her cosplay was so good. So cute. It's a pink Miku. Yeah, it was, it was very cute. Besides anime, there are a lot of other good ones, too. There was a huge Gurr. Oh, I love the Gurr cosplay from Invader Zim. And there was so much Star Wars. There was. We stood behind a Kylo Ren in the ticket line. There was a bunch of Mandalorian stuff. There was a full Darth Vader with suit and mask. Some Squid Game. Yeah, there was some Squid Game. I was expecting to see some Squid Game, but it's not really that old. It hasn't been around that long. So These I was people not were on it with their cosplays, man. Yeah, they got them together fast. Instantly, I mean, the cosplays are easy. You just do a hoodie and a mask. Still, and you're, man. Boom, you're a Squid Game guy. <laughs> there was a lot of Danganronpa characters, too, I noticed. Yeah, a lot of video games. Yeah, mm-hmm. lots of Junko. A lot of, we saw Chiaki Nanami and Hyoko. We love Hyoko here. We do. And a lot of Ibuki. Yeah, there's a lot of Ibuki. Of course, there were a lot of My Hero Academia cosplayers. There always is. They're everywhere, all the time. Yeah, Deku was the main one, I think. There was right. a lot of Bakugo, a lot of Uravity. Oh my gosh, somebody nailed the Uravity one. Saw her in the line, and I was like, wow, she looks so good. She did such a good job. Right? Like, it was oh, there was so an Aerie. Really? There was an Aerie? I did you not, not see her? No, I didn't see her. Oh, so cute. She yeah. was a little, little baby Aww. coming in. I wonder if it's her first cosplay. That's so cute. The girl who I saw cosplayed Bakugo did a really good job. She nailed his cannons on his arms. Yeah. But we went to the cosplay contest, which there was a lot of great cosplayers there. Mm-hmm. A lot of great ones. Although, you could totally tell, because, you know, Comic-Con is a mixture of different fandoms, right? There's, like, Star Wars people, there's DC Comics people, Marvel Comics people. You could totally tell the announcer was not a weeb at all. The announcer was cosplaying as this dude from Spaceballs, the... Really? His name's like Barf or something. He's a dog. And all the judges were cosplaying as different things from Disney or American stuff. And I'm like, okay, so this is not really an anime cosplay contest. Well, there were a lot of anime cosplayers in the contest. There were a ton. Yeah, there were a ton. ton. Oh, there was this little kid who did Shigaraki. I think that wasn't his first con either. I think he was at previous cons. He nailed it. He nailed it. He did such a good job. But... The winners of the cosplay contest in the anime section was Avatar The Last Airbender. And that is not (laughs) an anime. It is an American cartoon. Oh, my word. It's not an anime. So everybody in the audience was like, who are weebs, were like, that's not an anime. I I heard a couple people behind us being like, that's not right. That's not an anime. A little bummed about that, but it was still really cool. Why were they even entered for that award? I don't know. Anyway, oh, but well. yeah, I, I don't want to be super negative about it because they should be proud of themselves. Legitimately, the Avatar, their cosplay was cosplays awesome. Were absolutely amazing. Yeah, it one was awesome. One of the awesome. group cosplays for that was seriously one of the best. They had Appa and everything like yeah. built into their cosplay. It was really cool. Super amazing, but it's not anime. Yeah. It's like, it kind of looks like anime. It was inspired by anime. Legend of Korra has some parts where they shipped some of the animation out to Japan to be animated by anime studios. So you could argue Legend of Korra is (laughs) 
partially anime. Oh, I did not know that. The original Avatar is not anime. Period. End of discussion. In the American use of the term. Right. So I will say I've never been somebody that's really wanted to cosplay, but seeing everyone else cosplay made me kind of want to, you know? Really? Yeah. I just, I don't know. It looked like everyone was having so much fun. It just seemed like such great energy. And there's just so many cool ones out there. So it was really cool. And I'm thinking now about like the Jiraiya and the Tsunade we saw walking, oh walking around together. That was the last thing we did at the con was we were yeah. sitting there just resting after a really long day yeah. of walking and walking back and forth across the exhibition hall. And then boom, there's the two of them. And they were so perfect. Right. They, they looked amazing. They did. They really did. If you were going to dress up in cosplay for a convention sometime, what would you want to do? Right after the con, we watched My Senpai is Annoying, the first episode. And you know the entire time I was like, we got to do that. We got to do the My Senpai is Annoying cosplay. (laughs) That's true. Because you're tall and I'm I'm short. You're shorter. I'm like, five feet tall. I'm yeah, short. We, our height difference compared to the height difference in My Senpai is Annoying is maybe two inches off. Yeah. So I think it would be fantastic. <laughs> That'd be really funny. I don't know if anyone would know what that is or what that's from, but we could do it. We could also do Wreck-It Ralph. No. <laughs> you don't want to be... We're all you don't My be Senpai Ralph? is Annoying from now until the future. <laughs> okay, okay. I have an Umaru hoodie. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to go Azumaru, but Azumaru going as Kamina, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, of course it does. Because I kind of just want to wear Kamina's glasses and cape. I don't know if I want to do the whole thing, because like, then I'd have to start doing some sit-ups or something, or I'd have to like get bandages and like bandage <laughs> myself. Yeah, that seems like a lot of work. But if I go Azumaru going as Kamina... What I could do is just, like, wear a white dress with some red pants and then my hoodie thing. And then I could just wear a cape and his glasses, which is exactly what I want to wear. That would be my ideal cosplay. (laughs) So the last thing we really did at the con, the main thing we did, was we walked around the exhibition floor, which that's where there were all the meet and greets. That's where all the art was, all the comics were. That's where the Batmobile was which was pretty cool we had a lot of fun it was we've been to a couple conventions before this mostly like smash tournament conventions yeah i think that there was just as much anime stuff at this convention as were in those other conventions that we were at but there was three times as much stuff at this convention so there was a whole so ton of comic much stuff. stuff just as much comic stuff as there was anime stuff and then there was D stuff and yeah. toys and it movies was We saw a bunch of anime on DVD. There was Girl in the Gone. I was really tempted. It was very expensive. But there was a lot of other cool anime there that was really fun to see. We were, of course, looking for something cool to buy of our favorite characters. Right, right. So, like, we were mainly looking for, I think, a big banner or a tapestry, a wall scroll that we could put up on one of our walls. And we were looking for posters or, like, figurines. 
And I found this really cute UE figurine because I really like UE from K-On. And I like to leave them there and not buy them initially and then go to like a panel or something and come back and be like, I don't want to spend money because typically stuff at conventions, especially Japanese import stuff, is expensive. The posters, great value in my opinion. Right. Because typically you can get three or four for like get the third one free or the fourth one free. And the people will haggle with you or give you a deal if you buy a lot. But the figurines are always not as great a deal unless it's a limited edition one that you can only buy from them. Right. And Yui, her figure, there's also a Mugi one there. And I left and I was I came back and I was like, I don't know. I still kind of want I still kind of want to buy it. And it was gone by the time I came back and I was devastated. Who knew? that there's another person at this convention who loves Yui. And they didn't buy Moogie. I was going to buy them both so they wouldn't be separated. (laughs) So they would be together. Well, I don't like Moogie as much, but like the idea that these two have probably been together. They were from the same set. So yeah, you can't separate them. I don't know what that person that was thinking. It just felt wrong. It just felt wrong. It did. The exhibition floor was cool, though. One of my favorite things about going to conventions is just seeing how creative people can be with their art. Just all of the different things that people can make and the ways that they can interpret your favorite characters in their own art style. Just all of the different types of things that people come up with and create. I think that that's really cool. Like there was some art that would change when you walked by it like, to yeah, different characters. Holographic. Yeah, that was really cool. I think the Perler Bead art is always really cool. There was some really cool Legend of Zelda ones. There was some cool gaming stuff there. It is just wild seeing how they've already created art for some of the stuff that's like super new. Multiple booths out there had Chainsaw Man posters. Right, ready. it looks so good. And like we're getting excited about Chainsaw Man. It's coming out later this year as an anime. And we were Hopefully. like, wow, we can already get Chainsaw Man stuff. I bet the next convention that has Chainsaw Man, you're going to have to line up at the door to be able to buy anything. Right. But they still had stock at this one because it's just manga. I'm always interested to see the characters that they have, too, because, I mean, plenty of people have Naruto, Goku, like, that's to be expected, right? But I saw a lot of Vash the Stampede, which I have a couple posters of Vash the Stampede because I really like his character, and I just kept seeing multiple ones. I'm always surprised that I can find multiple posters of him at different conventions that look really good. Yeah, it's too bad we didn't have the budget to buy any, because they had, so all of them tempted. had glasses this time. I know, because the two I have, he doesn't have his glasses, which it I feel like... You. It bothers me. They look so good and they're such cool posters, but doesn't have his glasses. And to me, those are very iconic. I think there's just so much of him because he's fun to draw. He must be fun to draw. His outfit is so cool. But then there are people like, oh gosh, okay, if you are a Rem fan, this was the convention (laughs) for you because like Rem was literally everywhere that's just that's every convention rem from re-zero is everywhere i just didn't notice her maybe before i don't think we had watched re-zero at the last convention we'd gone to she just has a lot of figures and i think that they sell a lot of them so they're always overstocked and a lot of them are really common and so it's hard to sell when all the rem fans already have the full set of every rem figurine (laughs) they don't need another one of the common ones i guess Yeah, it's like you could spend all day looking for every character in your favorite anime, or you could spend all day looking for every Rim figurine, trying (laughs) to get five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten or eleven or twelve. There's so many. 
Also, there's a lot of good Jujutsu Kaisen stuff, but there was nothing of my guy, Nanami, and I was devastated. Yeah, Nanami got snubbed. He did. There's tons of Megumi, there's tons of Gojo, which to be expected, and there's Itadori, but there's none of Nanami. Also, there's never any figurines of Shinobu as an adult. It's always just child Shinobu. I don't know what's up with that. I don't either. Maybe it's just because she's not in adult form that much in the show. Yeah, maybe. But I was happy to see Monogatari represented. I saw, like, nothing of Gurren Lagann. Saw a wall scroll of the show itself, like the cover, and then I saw a wall scroll for Yoko, and that was, like, Uh, You saw a figurine for Yoko, too? Did I? Yeah, in front of the big Mustang one. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was not a good one. Well, it was there. It was there. You're right. You're right. But there was like nothing of Kamiya. I was sad. It's okay, though. But yeah, there, there wasn't much K-On either. No, there wasn't. There sadly. was a few, though. I was sadly. glad to see it still around. But there was a ton of different kinds of anime stuff everywhere. I really did not expect it to be the level that it was. So I was very excited to see all that. It was overall, I think, a really cool experience. I'm glad we went because it was kind of a last minute decision. I'd learned about it like two weeks before it was going to happen. So. I was expecting to see more VTuber stuff. Really? But apparently that's not the place for it. I mean, I saw a Gargura poster. I saw a Corona keychain. Yeah, the Corona keychain. I saw a few other keychains and posters, but I was expecting it to be huge and have a lot more fans, but maybe it's more niche than I realize among the artist community. Maybe. I'm really glad we got to go. So it was, it was a really cool experience. Overall thoughts on the con? I had a lot of fun. You were saying you wish that you could go another day. Yeah, I did wish I could go another day because we just drove up Saturday and left. It's like somebody made this convention for me mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because we didn't go to this, but I, I wanted to go, but we just had other things to do at that time. To the Boy Meets World panel. I loved Boy Meets World growing up. I watched it with my family a lot, so that would have been cool to see. The day before, the guy who voices Prince Zuko was yeah. there. I think that would have been really cool. The guy who voices Shigaraki was there the day before and I think it would have been cool because both Melee and Sean have mainly voiced Naruto and Goku right? at least that we know of but that's been their main roles but for the guy who voiced Shigaraki I think it would have been cool to ask him about what it's like voicing multiple different characters because I know he's voiced quite a few different characters and so that would have been I feel like interesting to explore that a bit more or the Dr. Stone guy if we got to see him yes seeing Adam Dismuk would have been cool I think he was either Friday or Sunday that he was there I think he was Sunday I love his voice. Yeah, me too. It's so recognizable. It is. And also, the guy, Billy Boyd, the guy who played Pippin in Lord of the Rings is there. It really was perfectly made for you. I know, because Pippin and Sam were like my two favorite characters in the Lord of the Rings movies when I watched them. I adored Pippin. I think I kind of had a crush on like Pippin and Sam when I watched the movie. So, <laughs> well, they were awesome. In they that were. Movie. They, they really were carried the movie for me at least. So that would have been cool to see their Q and A's. Overall, I thought it was a lot of fun. I do wish we could have gone more days, but it's definitely one that I would like to go to again in the future. I think it was a lot of fun. Before we went, I thought that the con was like super duper tailored to you and I wasn't really sure if I wanted to go. But then after we were there and we watched the Naruto thing, we watched the Sean thing, like I was super pumped up. Like yeah. I was excited and ready to go into the exhibition hall and buy a bunch of stuff. It was exciting for sure. I'll have fond memories of that for a long time. Me too. Uh, me of too. Of that uh, convention. 
now that we've talked about our time at the convention, let's talk about some manga that we've read. So in this section, we're going to be talking about some spoilers for the manga and the anime we're going to talk about. So if you are worried about that, you can check out the show notes and skip just to the part you want to listen to. So you've read some Berserk. I did. And it took me forever to get this manga in the first place. It's been a journey with this Berserk manga because I was waiting for it. I ordered it back in July and I waited for it. I waited for it. It was supposed to come in September and then it didn't come when it said it was supposed to come. And I would like check at the front door every single day and look out the window of our front porch and be like, is it here? Is it there? No, it's not. And then it was supposed to get there like at the latest and September 22nd. And so I was like, okay, where is it? Where is it at? And I went to our mailbox and it wasn't there either. And I was so devastated. While you were waiting for volume one of Berserk, I bought chapters one through six of Chainsaw Man and Comey Can't Communicate, which are both yeah. popular manga coming out in the yeah, next month or two. Yeah, you got it all. You got and all of yours in the mail. I got it all delivered in that time <laughs> while you were waiting for one manga yeah. to come in. I'd be like, what is that? And you'd be like, oh, it's just all my manga that I've gotten. And I'd feel so I was like, I felt sad. so bad. And I was like, why, why is this coming in? But yours isn't. And then Amazon finally said, this is officially delayed. Yeah. It will not come in on time. And we got disheartened and bought it off Walmart. I'm looking at the Walmart shipment right now. We had two yeah. orders, right? And eventually the Amazon one came in. The Walmart one right now, it's been a week since you got the berserk in it's been like two weeks it said it was going to be delivered october 7th which is two weeks ago it says delayed check back for updates on (laughs) walmart.com so it's never even our backup even the backup order (laughs) which said it was going to be there in three days is never coming it's never coming i wonder yeah probably And then it also told me at one point, I'm sorry, I think your package has been lost. Would you like to cancel the order and get a refund? And I tried and they were like, actually, just kidding. We found it. (laughs) It's going to be there in a couple of days. Don't worry about it. Maybe that's what we should do with a Walmart one is try to ask for a refund. (laughs) Well, no. But all that to say, when you brought it into me, you're like, oh, hey, it came in. I was so excited. I gave it a hug for a while because I was like, man, I'm so excited. And it has been amazing so far yeah some of those panels are gorgeous they are they're very good the art is incredible i will say from what i remember from the anime it's very different in the anime it starts off in the future where we are right now in the manga when i say the future i mean the future in comparison to the parts that a lot of people talk about with griffith and guts where he's part of their mercenary group That's pretty different. So it's a lot of things that I've never seen before. So I still haven't gotten to the parts that are covered in the in the anime yet. He's right now like fighting all these different monsters. And right now it's really sad. It's sad seeing him turn and be this really standoffish kind of just lone wolf dude now versus seeing him in the anime, which he was, you know, a part of this group. He was really strong. It's kind of sad seeing what he's turned into because it was always very obvious to me that Guts has a really good heart and he still does now and you can see that. But, and there's this little um, elf named Puck that follows him around everywhere. And Puck can sense people's emotions. And there's a one part where Puck is talking about how being around Guts, he can feel all this pain inside him. And it just makes me sad. But yeah, he's, you know, the action's really cool. He's still got his sword swinging around. And um, his arm that got cut off, he uses it to shoot arrows with it, which is pretty cool. As like a 
crossbow. The characters that we've met so far have all been really interesting, and I've really liked that. There was one panel, I was not expecting this to be as kind of scary as it is. And oh my gosh, I am so freaked out. I think I've said this before, by things eating things. And there's this character and I flip the page and this dude has a human's leg in his mouth. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is disgusting. I'm grossed out. And then there was this other panel. I couldn't even look at it. Like I just turned the page. I saw it and I said, nope. And I just didn't even read that page. I said, I don't care what happened. Uh, it does not matter to me. I am flipping this page. You were saying to me like, <laughs> with anime, I can cover my eyes at those points but, and then wait for it to be over. But with manga, could you like read it for me <laughs> and then tell I'm me when it's over? Exposed. <laughs> exposing me <laughs> yes because it's so freaky i turned the page and this scary man who's eating people who's like turned into this monster dude has this giant like centipede creature coming out of his mouth to do something to this other dude to turn him into a monster kind of creature dude and i'm like I, I, nope 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 i'm not looking at this panel where i just know that this big creature is going to come out of his mouth and eat this dude or do something to this dude i'm not reading it i can understand i can interpret from what i've seen so far what could possibly happen from here <laughs> So it was very freaky. So I was not expecting it to be that gross yet, but it's been really good. I love it. I'd say most of the way, two thirds of the way done with volume one, because I got I have the deluxe volumes. So I'm pretty far into that. So I have volume two. So that's good. I don't have to wait in the mail for that forever. Luckily, the other volumes are much easier to find besides volume one. I'm excited to keep reading more and I'm really excited to get to the part of the anime and see kind of the similarities or differences and like how much more detail it goes into and how much it doesn't. Well, what have you read? That's all I read. So I read the first two volumes of Komi Can't Communicate in preparation for the anime. I think the first episode came out in Japan, but the anime is going to be coming out pretty soon for us on, on Netflix, Netflix. Which Woo-hoo. I think it might be dubbed first day. That'll be exciting. That will be exciting. Because that, that's pretty rare for anime. And Komi Can't Communicate was great. I had expectations going in that it was going to be special and fun, but like I did not expect it to be this funny and this fun. Seeing art of Komi, the author did a really fantastic job creating this character that just by looking at her, you can empathize with her situation in that you see her from afar and you think, wow, look at this perfect woman. And then you get close and you start to understand her more and you see that she cannot talk with people. She can't communicate, blah, blah, blah. That she's super nervous around people, but that she's really funny and she she makes the funniest faces. And part of the cool thing about Comey Can't Communicate in the class is that they all treat her like a goddess because (laughs) they only understand her from afar Right. And because her character is like that, where you see her online and like social media posts or like on the cover mm-hmm. of the book where she's beautiful and like you're wondering, who's that girl? Who's that girl I keep seeing? You've done the same thing the class has done where they all think, oh, wow, she's just this amazing person. And really, she has no friends. Friends zero. At one point, I don't want to suppose too much for you, but at one point they go to her house and her mom goes, oh, my God, are you Comey's friend? This has never happened before. 
Oh my gosh, like, that's embarrassing. Comey's never had a friend. <laughs> and Poor she's thing. in high school. That would be mortifying if, if somebody's parents said that. She literally cannot talk, so she can talk, but... She can't communicate. Um, <laughs> but she doesn't like to. <laughs> she's nervous. But I'll, I'll be excited to see how it is in the dub because Comey will be a really challenging person for whoever it is to properly voice there's a lot of subtlety to her voice where you have to get across an entire paragraph worth of contents in a syllable one of the main parts of the eventual show when it gets dubbed is that the main character understands comey without her talking just based on her movements and her voice and so if you can't communicate that like hey based off this single syllable you could glean the intention then like it's not as believable comey can't communicate feels really special so far one of my favorite parts is that he and comey are at comey's house and they're there with his best friend so it's a trio and the best friend kind of knows that maybe they have a romantic thing going on we don't know yet what's going to happen but just knowing that the two of them are awkward by themselves if you put them together then they're going to do something awkward and so he's like oh i'm going to go to the bathroom and put them in this awkward situation where he's alone in her room by themselves and so he leaves and he doesn't go to the bathroom he just turns around and looks through the door and like watches them and then they just sit in silence for 30 minutes <laughs> what that is so awkward but no, no 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 they're just sitting there having a great time and drinking tea and having cookies and they are loving it there's just something about this kid who just really likes spending time with comey even though comey doesn't like to talk and I thought that that was really cool. I guess that's kind of that's kind of sweet. That's kind of wholesome, actually. Like sometimes when you're with somebody who's an introvert and who doesn't really like expending energy in that way or gets nervous, it could be good to be quiet. I think that it's a sign that you're really close to someone if you can sit in a room with them and spend time with them in silence. Like I've always thought that that was a sign that you were close to someone. That's true. I agree with that. Maybe not so if you're just in college and you live with them. But if you don't live with somebody and you can sit there in silence, that's hard to do. It's so awkward. That's true. I feel like me and my best friend, we could just sit there and her and I could do nothing. Like we could take a nap or something and I'd still have a fun time. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I I really enjoyed Comey Can't Communicate. I also read the first volume of Great J, Cannot Be Defeated, and that one has been great. I have not seen the anime yet, but the rest of the first volume was really good. We meet her underling, and we see her trying to get more of the crystals, and it's really funny because she was like the number two in all of her clan, but she's so weak now. It's just like she can't do anything. And we're kind of seeing that in the real world, people will say, like oh you got all your riches through inheritance or something i don't know how she got so powerful in the demon world but in this world she literally is just has her cuteness to go on and nothing else i love reverse isekais like that i think they're hilarious like where someone is just so powerful and strong and then they go into the world and they're not even close to what they were the funny thing is that her second in command or whatever her uh her underling is her underling is like making it in the 
the real world. She lives in a skyscraper at the penthouse. And what? she's like, That's crazy. How is she, she able to swing that? I don't know, but she has a ton of power crystals. And Jay tries to look at them and like maybe steal one. They're super trapped, full of booby traps and stuff. Yeah. And she has to play it off like she meant to do <laughs> the mm-hmm. underlings like wow, you're so smart. You were testing my booby traps and making sure that I had traps ready to make sure that nobody would steal my stuff. Thank you so much for putting in this effort to make sure that my power crystals were <laughs> properly guarded and stuff. They aren't enough. And like, I'll, I'll make sure to install new ones. I could never have thought of such a genius concept that you would do that. And Jay's like, well, I mean, you did just... You were the person who just said all that, like the thought of all that. That's funny. Because I was just trying to steal them, <laughs> like in her head. It's just been a pleasure reading it so far. I would recommend. I'm very excited to see the anime now. The second and third volume aren't translated yet, so I'm a bit sad that I can't read them. Maybe I'll watch the anime first then. All right, well, let's talk about some anime we've been watching recently. So we watched a bunch of the Ghibli movies recently. We watched Only Yesterday, Poco Rosso, Ocean Waves, Palm Poco, Whisper of the Heart, Princess Mononoke, My Neighbor, the Yamadas, and Spirited Away. And I watched about half those you watched. I watched Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, Only Yesterday, Whispers of the Heart, and Porco Rosso. And then I watched the rest. Yeah, um, by yourself. By myself. You were editing the last podcast while yeah, we were trying to do that. Yeah, I was busy editing, so I couldn't And we so had I a deadline trying watch. to watch them, because we were going to watch Spirited Away in theaters. Yeah. Because there's an uh, anniversary event going on right now. Yeah, so you Um, were trying to get through all the ones that had come before it. Yeah, because I wanted to watch them in chronological order. And anyway, the first one in chronological order is Only Yesterday, which apparently is like a really critically acclaimed film. I felt like it has a really feminist message that to me makes more sense in the place that it was in in history, which is back in the 80s, which is I think where it's set. She's a office worker and she's not married and people keep bothering her during the whole movie asking her like, hey, are you ever going to settle down with a man and stop working? And that really bothers her and she doesn't want to settle down. At least that's what she tells herself. And I felt like that was really exploring what it's like to be a woman at that time and how her childhood affects her present day self. And to me, nowadays, like I prefer feminist stories where they are more like previous Ghibli movies, like in Nausicaa. Nausicaa is just this really capable person. The follow-up to that was Porco Rosso. And in Porco Rosso, there's this engineer woman and all these other women who take over while the men are in battle. And you could see the real women ingenuity and power in that. And like, she is independent. And I don't know, I just, I really appreciate how Ghibli has done feminist stuff in their other films. And this, to me, was just, I don't know, it felt too on the nose or something. But it was still really good. I didn't connect with the character, really. She felt too awkward. I have so many feelings about this movie. (laughs) Like, so many different feelings. Watching it, a lot of the things that she experienced growing up as a girl are things that I think a lot of girls experience growing up. And those parts were really good, too. Yeah. Like, sincerely, it was hilarious, some of the scenes. I loved all of the scenes with her as a kid. Those are all my favorite parts. And it showed sometimes they would pause for a minute and just let the scene play out as if it would in real life without editing every little cut and like making every 
possible thing happened shorter so that it would save time. Sometimes scenes would play out where they're just eating and all of their mouths are full and they're not talking. <laughs> you just see their expressions. And I thought that was really masterfully done. Yeah. You could just sit in the moment and feel what it's like to be in that family situation. Right. And and yeah, like as a kid, I mean, she had a very, I mean, obviously she had a family that was not very supportive of her a lot or like it was pretty mean, I just mean to her at times. And she never felt supported by her family really yeah and they would they would make her seem like she was stupid because she didn't know how to do math and And they treated her like a burden and every time she got a win or asked for something they would take it away from her yeah so that was really sad to watch i felt like as a woman like that's basically around the same age as she is i thought it was relatable in some ways especially her growing up and stuff but as an adult it was really uncomfortable to watch her because she went from this kid who's kind of quirky and like a little awkward to this really awkward adult. I did not think almost anything she said as an adult was funny, relatable, or even, I don't know, I almost felt like there was something wrong with her voice acting at first. She's voice acted by Daisy Ridley, who is not a bad actor. No, like, but I was we've seen her say, in Star Wars. Like, we're, we're not Daisy Ridley no, fans. No, I'm not. I, I felt like Ray. I never really liked her character that much, which this isn't a Star Wars podcast. I don't want to get into that, but I never thought it was Daisy Ridley's fault. I always thought Daisy Ridley was a fine actor. That's not why we disliked Ray. But here, she just came off as stilted and awkward. Maybe that was intentional, but... I don't know, but then the dude, like the main guy in it, is also very awkward. And like when they first meet each other, it's very awkward because she's like, ah, I thought you were a thief, like a bag thief. And he's like, huh... I'm not. I'm here to pick you up. And he, she's like, huh, okay. It was so uncomfortable to watch. And then she, he'd be like, yeah, farming is really cool and I do it all the time. And she'd be like, you know, when I was in fifth grade, this happened to me. <laughs> it's just like the yeah, weird, she's very weirdest conversation. And um, it doesn't explain to you what's going on. I like that about movies when they expect you to be a grown up and read between the lines. Right. But that just led to situations like in the train station where he's picking her up where you're like okay so did she expect to be picked up because if you expected to be picked up you would try to find the person in the train station right you wouldn't go oh i thought i was getting robbed by a man like <laughs> i don't know it was i don't know their interactions are always just very awkward to me and i mean i th- i feel like obviously fifth grade was like a turning point for her or some sort of traumatic year for her her which i mean it makes sense fifth grade sixth grade that's you know a lot of changes happen like a lot of maturing happens around that age just a weird it's just a weird age like 11 is just weird to me i think it would have felt less awkward if maybe she was reflecting back on other parts of her life too like not just specifically fifth grade all the time yeah and she she said at the end of the movie like i'll come back and i won't bring my fifth grade self with me i feel like a lot of things happen to us throughout our lives and we don't really think about how they impact us you don't process them when they happen yeah then you have to process them when you're older which is what she does Which is what she does, and I feel like that's fine, and that was fine to watch. And she had a reason for not processing them. Yeah, she Because her family taught her that she never should consider herself 
or take care of herself or anything. Right. She doesn't deserve anything. She's not entitled to anything. If she has a problem or an emotion or something, she should repress it and not deal with it and not care about how she feels. They taught right. her that. And so later she had to deal with it, which I get. But that doesn't mean that the older version of her had to be like this annoying, so awkward. awkward woman who was not fun to watch at all. Well, and it's just, it felt so shoehorned in. Like she'd be looking at birds and then she'd be like, you know, when I was in fifth grade, I saw birds. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, if I just imagine like I'm on a break from work, right? I just go, maybe I just drive to the country for two weeks and I meet up with some people. How would they react if I was just like, oh, hey, do you like living in the country? And they're like, yeah, it's pretty cool. I like it. And I was just like, you know, in fifth grade, I always wanted to live in the country. And they'd be like, oh, that's cool. And then I'd be like, yeah, my parents never took me, though. I only went with my grandma. No one else wanted to go. It was kind of a crappy trip. And they'd be like, uh, okay. Like, I mean, I, I just feel like that's not normal. It's not normal to just rant, to just like go on and on about your fifth grade experiences to random people you don't know that well. I see what they were trying to do, and I think it's an important thing to talk about and think about because it is, you do need to think about how things in your past have impacted you. Like, that is important. But just the way that she went about it as an adult was so weird. Also, I did not understand at the end of the movie that she turned around and got back on the other train and, like, went back to see that guy again. Yeah. I thought that she just went on the train back home and maybe one day they got married or something. But in my mind, she just went to this town and then nothing changed and nothing <laughs> happened. And she just reminisced about being a kid. And then she made no different decisions because yeah. of it. I did not understand that. And then I was reading on a forum somewhere that the transformational scene was the credits and i was like oh no i have to rewatch the credits <laughs> and then i saw oh that's not her getting off and then later showing right. that's her getting off the train getting on a different train to go back the other way i was supposed to understand that and i didn't i don't know i felt like there's a lot of stuff like that in the movie where i some of it went over my head so yeah. i don't know maybe there's more to it than we're giving it credit for it's obviously critically maybe. acclaimed just the fact that there are a lot of scenes that clearly were not supposed to be this dramatic or beautiful in terms of being sad or in terms of being awkward there were moments that were supposed to be happy but they were just awkward or like moments that were supposed to be people bonding but it felt like if i was the person they were bonding with i would go home i would not <laughs> talk to this person ever again well, i would hope that that person finds somebody that yeah. likes them because i don't and another thing too the animation their faces Whenever she would smile, I would feel like I was in a horror movie. Oh, my word. Like yeah. I thought she would pull out a knife and start just start. Ghibli characters people. have this kind of smile to them when they close their mouth. They kind of look like a frog or a monkey sometimes. They have this mouth that's pointy. Their smile, they have, especially this girl, it was more of a realistic face. And her smile showed teeth that like had these face wrinkles that were weird yes, with this cheek. It was very weird. Wrinkle that was off. There was something off about it. Maybe, Maybe it was just that it was trying to be more realistic than the other Ghibli movies, and it led to Uncanny Valley situation. That was not it for me. <laughs> I still feel like it was an enjoyable movie. I really liked the parts with her as a kid. What was the next one on our list that Poco we watched? Rosso. You and I had very different feelings about Porco Rosso. I really liked the movie. I felt like it's really different from the other Ghibli movies, to be clear. And to me, it was a movie about a war 
veteran who thinks of himself as a monster that can't forgive himself from the fact that out of all the people, all the heroes that he surrounded himself with when he was in war, that they died and he, this like monstrous person, this chauvinist pig, he lived and that externalizes itself as him being an actual pig and you only really see him as not a pig when he is able to forgive himself for all of that a bit and like understand that the other people in his life see him as valuable and don't see him as this monster and just in general the entire time i was having a good time the characters were likable the themes were good the ghibli girl in it was amazing she was super independent porco i did not really like that he was a pig but it made thematic sense i guess yeah meanwhile i'm over here like okay he's a pig they said he was cursed who was he cursed by how did he become a pig does this mean that there are other pig people around or other animal people like does this indicate that there is magic in this world because there's no one else that has this issue there's nothing else magical in this whole thing and what also bothered me nobody seemed to act like that was weird they just all accepted the fact that he was a pig man no one looked at him and was like what is this pig man who is this guy they all just all accepted that he just turned into a pig one day i think the idea was that people who go to war are pigs there was plenty of people in there that went to war that didn't turn into pigs no there weren't the other guy he was a pilot he was a pilot but he, he was an american I guess they were thinking about Americans like we're a bunch of cowboys that <laughs> yeah, don't he had, care like, such a about accent. all the deep and like subtle feelings that Porco cared about. I think that they just didn't have respect for Americans. They thought of this as loud, boisterous. I don't know, man. I was so distracted by the fact that he was just this pig dude that no one seemed to care or notice or like, I mean, they would comment about how he was a pig. So he was definitely a pig. It's not like this was an internal thing. Some people in the internet were like saying that he maybe wasn't a pig and it was all just in his mind. But no, it was real. Yeah, that girl, that lady commented about the curse. The lady he was in love with commented about the curse. And I'm like, so he is an actual pig. So I don't know. I just, I struggled so hard with it the whole time because I just could not, I feel like I couldn't take it seriously. I feel like it wasn't explained very well. I feel like there's no other animal people around and that didn't make sense. And no one said how he really, I mean, they show how he becomes that way, but they don't really explain like what made him that way. Like what magical thing. And I was just bothered by that the whole entire time. It felt like one of those old westerny type films that I don't really like. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that Pulp Fiction, old western cowboy I don't really care about that stuff. Indiana Jones. I'm really a big fan of those movies, one through three. And it was really, really good in terms of that kind of a story. But it wasn't really good in terms of the fact that the whole thing is just basically an action-y thing with this one guy who's like real tough and cool and just wants his plane fixed or whatever like if you can't get into that kind of a story then you're not gonna like this movie if you don't like the idea of a veteran who's disillusioned with the war and like with everything I'm well i do but it's hard for me to like get into that when he's a pig man (laughs) 
I don't need to follow the law if I'm a pig. <laughs> it's like, what? And if got, you can't get into that I idea, I there aren't any laws in pig world. <laughs> <laughs> he kept making pig puns, too. I'm like, oh, dude, I can't do this. This is too much for me. Like, not not having a good time. I'm glad you liked it, though. I think that yeah. was my least favorite one so far. Seeing Hayao Miyazaki worked on such an amazing film, you can just see so much of the creativity and the brilliance and the animation in that. I'm sorry you were disappointed in the actual content, but like pearls before swine, I guess. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. Well, what was the one we watched after Porco Rosa? What's the next one in line? The next one is Ocean Waves. And Ocean Waves is a bit different. It's handled by younger people at the studio. I'm not going to go super deep into it because yeah, honestly, it wasn't you watched my favorite. It by yourself. I watched it by myself. It wasn't handled by Miyazaki or any of the famous guys. But basically, it's about this love triangle somewhere and it's about this guy who's growing up trying to understand this girl but better and he's like going on trips with her and kind of almost being tricked by her multiple times and over the course of the movie he realizes that he loves her and i don't know stockholm syndrome (laughs) i wasn't a huge fan of it because honestly i'm a guy who likes it when girls are soon to raise and like they really like the person but they don't say it they're kind of mean to the guy but this person was generally just manipulative manipulative of him and mean in that kind of way unhealthy kind of ways and i feel like just because the girl grows up to remember him and like thinks of him fondly and wants to see him again when they're grown up doesn't mean that he should like her all of a sudden yeah that doesn't seem like a very romantic story I didn't like Ocean Waves. That's all I got to say um, out of all of the ones we watched so far. The next one after that is Palm Poco. Um, <laughs> and I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I didn't watch that with you, but you were like, listen, you have to come to this basement. I was in the middle of editing our last podcast. You were like, you have to come down to the basement. You have to see the beginning of this movie. And you showed me this movie and they are just regular raccoons and they yeah, seem they, to be living their life. The narrator comes on like it's a nature documentary right and it talks about this raccoon family and there's like maybe five raccoons and they're like the japanese people have left this one home behind and they're no longer living in it so the raccoon family goes and takes over the home and they live there happily for a while and then the humans come and tear down the house and so they go into the forest then they begin to have to fight and compete for food they begin <laughs> to attack like, one another it was like raccoon and, gang wars all of a sudden i was like I was what like, is okay, happening okay, here okay this is kind of interesting what's going on they're, they're kind of like putting a little story to it it was gang and wars then, people and then all of a sudden out of nowhere after this nice family of raccoons has been living for a while the narrator just goes it is the year 203 of the pawn legacy <laughs> The raccoons have formed two sides, the red side and the blue side, and they are now at war. And you see just, like, an army of raccoons, one red and one blue, like... Are ready they to face off and they're factions. like armed and ready to attack and they're running at each other and then they and turn into they're still tanukis. regular raccoons at this point then they turn into tanukis yeah it, it was wild it was really really wild it was so wild you're like you have to see this and i thought it was just gonna be some stupid crap about raccoons and it escalated so quickly but anyway that's the only part i saw 
that's the important part. You got to watch the beginning of that movie if you haven't seen it. It was great. The rest of the movie was really funny, and I recommend the rest as well. I had a great time. Sometimes Miyazaki movies can have this theme of like, oh, well, the environment's very important. We have to think about it. But then there's like no solution to the problem. Like you get the moral, but there's no actual thing that you can apply to real life. But in, in Pompoco, it ends and they're like, the humans, we didn't get to see the benefits to this, but the humans have decided to build forest areas in their cities so they don't tear down everything and there's a place for the environment to be and be happy and for raccoons to live and our children get to see this and get to live with this and that was great also there was a point where you see the foxes have integrated with the humans i thought this was fantastic normally foxes trick the tanukis and it's really great it's hilarious but the foxes in this movie try to trick the tanukis they basically are like, okay, if you get in the business deal with the humans, we'll give you all this money. And the Tanukis show up for the deal and just take all the money and run. And it's really oh my funny gosh. I'm just like, wow, they did not get tricked this These time. These Tanukis are something else. Yeah, they're, they're really uh, boisterous and crazy. They're not nice people, honestly. I don't know. I had a good time. I recommend it. It is more of a children's movie, though, so... I don't know, man. From what I saw, there was some gang wars happening. <laughs> like, this didn't seem like a kid's movie to me. It's cartoonish. Fair enough. It was pretty cartoony. So what's the one after? After Pom Poco is Whisper of the Heart. And at first I watched this by myself and I was weeping. <laughs> like, it's I was so... so good. It was so beautiful Then we watched and it amazing. together. And then we watched it together. You weren't going to watch this one originally, but I told you you had to watch it. It was so good. This is another girl that I relate to because she wants, she wants to write. Like, she likes writing, but she's always been unsure about it until... The main guy in the movie says that he wants to go off and be a violinist and he's going to go off for a while. And so she's like, you know, what? I'm, while he's gone, I'm going to I'm going to do my best to, to chase my dreams just like him. And so she does. And she spends all this time writing, staying up late. And, you know, as somebody who I've always really loved writing, like I remember being in the fourth grade and my teacher would be talking and I'd just be like writing at my desk different stories about different stuff. And in middle school, I wrote stuff in high school. I wrote stuff like I always have liked to write in college. I would write and. And so I can relate to her because, you know, when you're writing and it's something that you love, but it's it's hard to like realize that you're still still learning and like you're a beginner and you, you pour something into it and all the, the best that you can do is just keep practicing and keep trying. And I felt like it, it had a good attitude about it. Like when she brought her story to uh, the old man at the store and he said it needed polishing, she got upset about it, but he said, that's okay. That's okay. You just keep polishing and you keep polishing your arc your, your art form and you just keep trying like you don't give up just because your first try wasn't amazing and it's just like the main guy in the story too like his teacher had said his master he had, had told him that he isn't ready yet but he has potential and instead of getting discouraged and saying oh well i'll never make it as, as a violin maker i'll never make it he decided to go back to school to finish out high school and to continue it after high school to like keep learning as he went keep practicing learning and so he could go back again and learn with a master again so I like that message because I feel like it's very easy. 
I feel like this has more been my mentality is, oh, well, you might as well just give up on something if it's it's easy just to give up, I think. It felt good seeing people very optimistic about their passions and like realizing that they can just keep trying and they can keep getting better and that it's okay to not be like perfect when you're working on something or starting it out. Like you can keep polishing it up and keep getting better. I felt like this movie was made somehow to be perfectly nostalgic for me. I normally don't say that kind of stuff, but like, while I was watching this, I just felt so 100% completely entranced and like completely immersed in this world because it felt like I was a child in my childhood again. It's set in the 90s and I grew up in the 90s. Their house looked like my house. She reads library books all the time and I was checking out library books every day as a kid and i was like oh my gosh i was this girl growing up it's so weird there were so many similarities and then it felt like when i was in college i would study to the lo-fi hip-hop music and she's the lo-fi <laughs> hip-hop girl like she's what a what, crazy coincidence what a crazy coincidence so i knew her for almost a decade now i've known this girl and she's been in my life and now i finally get to connect with her as a person and then more recently, I've been really enjoying Country Roads. Ever since Fallout 76 was announced, or maybe it was Fallout 4, that was set to Country Roads because it's in, in West Virginia. And so they picked that song to advertise for it. And ever since then, that song's been a part of my life, and I've really enjoyed it. And like I've heard different people do karaoke versions of it, and we would sing that on the road. And then that song came up as the intro, and I'm just sitting there like watching anime, a very Japanese thing. And all of a sudden, I hear Olivia Newton-John's voice come out of the speakers. We have a surround sound set up, and I'm hearing this like full surround sound version of Country Roads come at me when it begins and i'm like whoa this is not japanese is this like double <laughs> like what is going on it was surreal to be put in that place and immediately connect with it through that song and then boom it's my childhood and i was like whoa and so i felt so deeply connected to the character at first and so at the point that she started going through a lot of the struggles that I've been through and still go through every day, I was just so emotionally affected by it. I think that this might end up being my favorite Ghibli movie just because of how much I connected to the film emotionally. I would say it's my second favorite one. And I would say too, all the all the characters in it are just really good. Like you said, very relatable. I really liked Shizuku's relationship with Seiji. I thought that that was really cute. I like how they were inspired by each other to be better versions of themselves, like really work hard. And and I thought that was cool. And I really liked the ending because Seiji actually says, I love you. They get together as far as we can tell. And I liked that part. I thought that was nice. Oh, one more thing that I really connected to was that growing up, my family during events where we were all getting together would sing a lot. And members of the family would just come in and out and like began playing instruments or like singing along. And it was this very informal thing, but that was part of a celebration as I was growing up and is really common informal music. And there's a scene in this that is like that. Whenever that happens in media, I begin to well up and like think about my childhood and about growing up with that. There's a part in Bioshock Infinite where that happens, for example. And that part is my favorite part of that game. Mm-hmm. That, this, that part's my favorite part of 
whisper of the heart as well. Shizuku sings along with Seiji's violin playing, and he specifically plays the song that he knows that she's written lyrics to, Country Roads. And so it's like the whole movie, you're waiting for this moment where that becomes relevant and he does something to connect with her on a deeper level. And it finally happens and you're like, oh, this is a special movie. This is a special moment. But that's not all it does. All of a sudden, Mr. Nishi comes in with his friends and they start playing music as well. And they connect too. And you're just like, oh, wow, this is is a really cool scene. This is really... Yeah, I felt like I was watching the movie up until that point. And I thought, you know, I like this movie. It's a good movie. You know, I'm enjoying it. But then there was that scene and I just... There's something really special about it. And I just thought that this is a special movie. This is going to be great from that point on. And it was. I felt like their relationship being long distance felt real since he actually went to Italy. And like she couldn't visit him in two months. She couldn't go to Italy. Right. Like that seems perfectly reasonable that you would be completely torn over that. And then also she was still trying to be connected to him through doing this own experiment of her own. But she seemed nervous to do it. And she went to Mr. Nishi about it. And like the way that Mr. Nishi talked, I just I want somebody like that in my life. Same. I want Mr. Nishi to be my grandpa. The thing he did with the geode just felt so special. They animated this part where he shines a light through the geode and you can see through the geode, it's like shining on her face. And that moment, I'll never forget that shot of her looking through and seeing like, you might not be polished or anything like right now. You might just be a rock, but let me show you, let me shine a light inside of you and show you, hey, here's what you could be if you put a lot of work into it. And she couldn't see that before he said that to her. He didn't lie to her. That was the coolest part to me. He never once lied to her. He always was 100% truthful, but he was encouraging and supportive. And whoever has someone like that in their life that like is so deeply encouraging, supportive, he always knew the right thing to say. I don't know. I love Mr. Nishi. Mr. Nishi, Opie, best character ever um he really is and then later he gives her the rock that was meaningful and oh another moment i really liked this will be the last thing for this movie i liked how at the end when they finally kind of get back together and they go up the hill and it's kind of like a dream-like moment because it's in the morning she even comments like oh is this a dream he tries to bike up a hill like a mountain and he wants to do it to prove it to himself they can he's like i was wanting to do this to climb up this mountain on the bike with you and carry you up but he's clearly tiring himself out and she's like well i'm not just gonna be a burden i'm gonna help out and he he's like no you don't have well i guess you know what go ahead and help you could do it and i was like you know what that's kind of cool their relationship always felt like a partnership of them trying to do better and be better together and i really liked that like inspiring each other they, they didn't do the thing they were like oh well just because i'm a woman you're expecting me to ride in the back of the bike but at the same time when he was struggling she got off and pushed and i thought that was really cool it shows how it is in real relationships where you support each other it's not just one person carrying the entire relationship both people have to push in order to make it up a lot of tough sections of life and i thought that was really cool and for that to happen with middle schoolers wow so that was whisper of the heart i'd give it a 10 out of 10 i love that movie (laughs) go watch it if you haven't 
So next up is Princess Mononoke, right? Yep. And I'm so excited to get to the films that made Ghibli the studio that it is today, where everybody knows it, everybody loves it. Mononoke was critically acclaimed, and it has good reason to do so. The world is so much more fleshed out than other Ghibli worlds. The lore is way more interesting than the other Ghibli worlds. We see such an interesting world in Steel Town. I guess when I was watching it, I had these expectations that it would be mostly focused on the princess. I thought it would literally be like that her name was Mononoke or something. (laughs) I don't know. And that she would be this really cool girl in the woods or something just like fighting people all the time and that's not exactly what it was i felt like it was more about the main boy than it was really about her and then it turned out to be more about environmentalism than anything and it is a ghibli movie which is fine but like that's not what i had in my head it was really good i gave it an 8 out of 10 but i was disappointed i guess that it wasn't exactly what i I thought in my head but I mean it's a beautiful movie like the animation's really cool the scenery is really cool two main characters are really cool it's just not exactly what I was picturing it felt to me like Miyazaki has always wanted to tell this environmentalism story and he has tried to tell it over and over <laughs> and over again right. and I felt like his first one Asuka was one of the best ones for capturing it because he clearly thought of a lot of ideas over a long he period did. of time it was very cool and then he was like okay I'm gonna make this movie and he did it but it wasn't as polished and then Mononoke he's almost as talented as he was for Spirited Away he finally made the environmentalism movie he's been trying to make over and over and over again and I thought that was really cool to see the full realization of people who are selfish in the movie and take and take and take but at the same time you see that they're just people and they're trying to save their own take care of the people in their lives or the people that they care about a lot of the enemies a lot of the bad guys in this movie are good people like right like the main villain lady she's in charge of the town Yeah, she's helping the lepers. She's helping women Women. who who were prostitutes before this Mm -hmm. get jobs. I mean, she she was able to help a lot of people. So it's hard. But then there's greed when they took the forest spirit's head and were going to give it to the king for money. And that wasn't cool. But, you know, a lot of the motivation was that that they wanted the town to be taken care of. So it's, it's hard, you know, balancing, taking care of people, taking care of the forest and respecting your environment. I, feel I like thought it, they fleshed that out well. The one thing that I don't like about environmentalist stories is that it always acts like the environment is fighting back against you. And in the immediate sense, that does not happen. That is not real. That is like metaphorical. There is no forest spirit's body that still exists and is like walking around destroying everything. It's just maybe the forests disappear and there's not as much stuff to walk through. All of the downsides to not being environmentalist are either further in the future or they are loss of something that we already had previously. And there's no big urgent threat or people would be more environmentalist because they would be afraid of the big scary monster. I've never liked that in movies where they turn the environment into a threat immediately. That's weird. 
So next I watched My Neighbor the Yamadas, and I don't really want to get too deep into that one, but I thought it was really funny and really good. It's very different for a Ghibli movie. It's in this different style, and I thought that was cool. There's mostly just really short vignettes across the whole movie, really short scenes. One that I shared with you is this moment that this girl sees the guy that she likes, and it's raining outside, and the... (laughs) The main character dude forgot so, his umbrella that day and he's so like, crap, funny. I don't have an umbrella and it's raining outside. And the girl in his class is like, here, you can take my umbrella because she's going to walk out to the guy that she likes and try to walk mm-hmm. under one umbrella like a romance anime. Mm-hmm. And she walks out there and she's like, gee, it sure is rainy today. I'm going to get so wet from all the rain. And he's like, yeah, that sucks. So then just leaves. And then she walks back and is like, give me my umbrella. <laughs> that it's scene so was funny. hilarious i love that there are a few scenes in it that were animated really well but i don't know I, I feel like ghibli is is more for the drama and for the special cute moments than it is for uh the family comedy stuff i like yamada's not my favorite one but then that night we went to the movies and we saw spirited away this is definitely my favorite one this is like my second what i've been for sure. waiting for i mean the environment is so cool like when she goes into monster world it's really awesome mm-hmm. and the spirit world yes the spirit world yeah the environment was really good i felt like i was really truly transported to a different place mm-hmm. and that's what i've been wanting to have with a Ghibli film where it feels like everything is very flushed out. Like there's this whole environment that's just really different and cool and unique and interesting. And that's what I feel like I got with Spirited Away. Everything in the world felt very unique and interesting. To me, in the same way that Princess Mononoke felt like it completed Nausicaa, I felt like this movie kind of completed Castle in the Sky, where you're kind of taken to this different world. But to me, Castle in the Sky, its world was just like some robots, I guess, guarding the castle. And Chihiro's story is just really powerful. You see her across the red bridge that like represents the gateway between worlds. And she is supposed to be invisible, but no face kind of like spots her while she's crossing. And it's like, ooh, what's going on with that masked guy? Like, what's the deal? And you have a complicated relationship with I, no face because you I love, love him. No. Okay. <laughs> but you I don't, don't like know. things that eat things. And I people. know. I know. And he like. He eats a frog, and you love frogs. Oh, I love frogs. And the first thing he decides to eat was this little frog man, and I was so sad. I was like, no, no face, don't do it, no face. And he did it, and then he started eating a bunch of people and a bunch of things just, like, everywhere. But I love him. He's so cute. There's something about no face that I find extremely endearing. I don't know. I think I just have this soft spot for creatures and people that seem misunderstood. Chihiro was just really sweet to No Face and I felt like No Face felt happy that somebody saw him and like cared about him and that just warmed my heart and made me really happy and he kept trying to do nice things for Chihiro like give her things to clean the bath with when that that guy wouldn't give them to her. He gave her gold because he saw that other people wanted it and he thought she might want it and then he got really sad when she wouldn't just accept his gift. I just loved No Face. But then he went on a murderous rampage where he ate a bunch of people, and that was really <laughs> he sad. He didn't actually murder them. They're he so didn't actually alive. murder them. They're fine. They're all okay. 
But then he went to see Yubaba's sister with Chihiro towards the end where she gets on that train and to he return. Learns to knit. He does, and he drinks tea. He spins the yarn. He's so cute. And then he just stays Why there am with I her. Crying? I don't know. <laughs> That's how I felt. Yeah, That's they a- keep it kept doing that where the like scariest creatures in the whole movie turned into like these cute creatures and traveled with Chihiro. And it's like, what is going on here? Why does it keep doing this? I'm freaked out by these things. Oh, that giant baby was so scary. I don't care if you're a rat guy. I don't like you still. Take me back to the soot sprites. I want to hang out with them. Those soot sprites were so cute. That was the best part of the movie easily. When one of the soot sprites gets hired and it drops its rock on top of it. And Chihiro's like, I'll help and I'll get the rock into the thing. And then the dude's like, okay, oh, you soot sprite, get back to work. And the soot sprites are like... Nah, I'm gonna let this girl do take, take my girl, rock take all too. my rocks to the fire. <laughs> they all drop the rock on top of themselves. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, I felt like each character in that was so unique and uniquely made. From the soot sprites to Yubaba, who was this crazy looking villain to No Face. It just seemed like they just really cared about making the environment really interesting. And of course, Haku, also a great relationship with Chihiro. It was cool that he saved her from the river when she was a child Mm -hmm. and she helped him remember his, his name. It felt like there were bits and pieces of every Ghibli movie we've seen in this movie. Like there were the soot sprites from Totoro. Her parents got turned into pigs because they were acting like greedy and and inhuman, eating all that stuff. And and Porco Rosso, the guy's a pig. I, I have something to say about that. That's my one small grievance with this movie. Who is moving? Like, okay, we we've moved houses before. (laughs) I know what you're gonna say. When you're moving when you're moving, if, if you haven't done this before, if you're moving a house, the last thing you want to do is go explore somewhere while your all your stuff is being loaded into the house. Truly, you just want to get that over with and move on with your life. Who drives somewhere, gets lost while they, they are trying to make sure they're unpacking their house, just sees this random tunnel and says, I think I'm going to go down this, this random tunnel with my small child and then we're just going to eat food that we don't know where it is or who made it. I think there must have been some sort of magic that led her parents down there. You know what I mean? There's no way some normal people wouldn't would just do that. Although, I don't know. My parents are pretty adventurous. They just like do random stuff like that, too. They'll just I, stop random places and walk somewhere. I don't think that you and I could ever do that. Yeah. I think that you and I would want to get to our house and we would not make any stops. Right. We would go directly to the house. Because we yeah. want to see the house. It's really important to us. Right. Right. Even if we do want to eventually go out a little bit and explore the area or whatever, we would want to explore a house first. But the idea of going through the forest to get to your house, first of all, why would you go through the forest? Don't take a shortcut. Go on a normal road, dude. And then the idea of, oh, I just found this random tunnel. Tunnel. Let's go through it, even though it's empty and abandoned looking. And then keep walking out into the big field and then keep walking. And then eating food. That's what gets me. I'm like, okay, I can kind of see maybe you'd want to explore this thing. The movers aren't going to get there for a little while anyway. Well, they might just be a different kind of people that are like that. Like, I get that. 
I yeah. could see regular people doing that. Yeah, but then to eat food that you don't know where it came from and there's no one else there? Like, come on, what were y'all doing? What were y'all thinking? I think that there had to be some magic drawing them in at that point or something. Because, mm-hmm. like, who does that? But either way, I mean, obviously, that's, like, such a small... That's such a small thing to care about and complain about with that movie. I mean, that movie's amazing. It's It's incredible. And so small thing but i have to point that out because i'm like that's so weird who who would do this but who cares it was great i love the main character chihiro too and i think she's great i think a lot of the characters in there are great so next up we watched star wars visions and gotta say it was all right the best part about it was the first episode done by studio trigger called the The twins Twins. that was incredible the animation amazing I also really like Lop and Ocho. I thought that one was really cool as well. But the Trigger one is clearly the best. Trigger always delivers on amazing animation. And I wish the series, the whole series had been just them. Just Trigger animation. Well, maybe this but was their resume. And we're going to see a full twins anime. That would be really cool. I just felt like it captured the heart of Star Wars. And and like we said earlier, I mean, we're not like necessarily Star Wars fans or anything, but it just captured what I think of when I think of Star Wars really well. Just like very awesome lightsaber battles, battles between like people in close relationships that are very intense with him and his sister. It's awesome. The other episodes were good. I mean, I kind of wish they had all been connected. I mean, it was it was cool that it told like separate Star Wars stories, but I think it was worth watching. But the Trigger one was incredible. I feel like they were indulging themselves in Star Wars. They were just like, we're going to have the Sith guy. He's going to have an X-Wing. Screw it. He has an X-Wing. I don't know how. He has an X-Wing. <laughs> and, and there's going to be an R2-D2 character. He's going to have a big lightsaber. And she's going to have, I don't know, six lightsabers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really was like that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm about it. Let's do it. I, I can imagine an interview with the director guy like we saw in Promare. At Promare, the, they did an interview with a bunch of the creators. And they're like very quiet guys. And they're just like, in this one, our theme was fire. <laughs> it's like, what? okay (laughs) like it's this big movie that has all this really cool animation all that and their theme was fire i guess you could see that that every single little thing had something to do with fire right i could imagine them just being like in this one our theme is lightsabers (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was that was amazing so i watched kuroko's basketball season three and this was quite the experience for me it was very exciting because I love Kuroko's basketball. And I had no idea the season three was coming on to Netflix. And so I was like, you know what? I know I have to finish my 150 anime. And I know this isn't quite going to fit in because it's a longer one. But I'm going to make this work somehow. Because I got to see what happens in Kuroko's basketball season three. And it was great. And never before while watching this have I talked to somebody who plays basketball and I have a friend on Instagram who plays basketball so I would be like okay listen this can't be real they're doing this move there's no way there's no way like he can actually throw a bet like in real basketball like you can like throw a basketball from across the court right that's stupid that doesn't make any sense 
And then they'd send me a clip of someone doing it in real life. And I was like, nah, that's not possible. That's not, that's crazy. And then I would send something else like, okay, this just happened in Kuroko's basketball. Like he just, he just bounced it against the backboard and someone else caught it. And then he threw it like that doesn't happen, does it? And then he what? There was like a part where, because this the whole season is pretty much just them playing games in the finals, mm-hmm. and it's really cool. But he like throws the basketball against the backboard, and someone else catches it, and then they do like the then they throw it in. I'm like, come on, that like. Wait, you've never seen an alley oop before? No, <laughs> I've never. Everybody seen... loves doing that move. I've never. I don't know anything so about basketball. So just to be clear, you're talking about somebody acting like they're trying to make a shot. And they bounce it off the backboard, and another person jumps yes. up and catches it and dunks it. Yeah, that was really cool. Which, I mean, I that was believable, but I'm like, does that really happen that often? Everybody loves alley-oops. <laughs> I didn't know. I had no idea. Oh, my so, word. And then there was a bunch of other stuff that I'm like, do people really... Because he... Kuroko's move is that he, like, shoves the basketball with his hand, you know? Like, he passes it with the palm of his hand. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do, do people don't... That's stupid. He does people, this like twisty thing. Yeah, I'm like people don't actually, people don't pass the ball like that, right? And then I get a clip from my friend being like, "Not nah, right here. They did it. They did it right here." And I'm like, "There's no way. There's no way." And there's just a lot of instances like that that I was just like, "This is impossible. This doesn't make sense." I'd be like, "They would. They would explain some move like getting in the zone or just crazy stuff," and they would be like, "Well, that's not that crazy." So I feel like. I just reached a conclusion that Kuroko's basketball is apparently just real basketball. You would like watch something and be like, (laughs) people can't really just look at somebody and then they fall to the ground, right? And then he would send you a clip like, look at this. And the person's like looking at people and the whole court is falling to the ground. Okay, not that part. Oh. Not that part. So there are some emperor things or like <laughs> the some Akashi people guy, who like yeah. just like touch somebody and then they gain all of their abilities. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I, oh, I don't know if I ever said, like, I don't think I ever was like, hey, this Akashi dude can just make people fall down by their gravity. That's not real, is it? I'll have to check. I'm going to check and see if that's real. We're going to get confirmation. I need confirmation. We are going to get clips of people (laughs) falling down. Because somebody, because that was crazy. The emperor, I think, was insane. Agashi, I was not sure they were going to actually beat him. Of course, Seirin wins, but I was not sure they were going to beat Agashi's team. Because he's insane. What if all anime is nonfiction? Like, what if we keep talking to this guy and we're like, but Code Geass isn't real. And then he's like, really? Because look at this. And it's like General it's Mao like, it's just like has a-, a picture. There's a picture of General Mao where he has like a red eye. And like you see him commanding people. And they always do what he says. And we're like, wait a second. No. History, it connects. It connects. <laughs> I-, I think... I think basketball players are just like magicians somehow because I would they just, really they really are talented. And I was like, fair. okay, listen, Kogami just dropped really high. Like, there's no way people be jumping this high, right? Oh, it's wild! And how you high they can clips jump. of it. I'm like, there's no way. There's Have no way. Have you ever way. seen how high a regulation basketball hoop is? Yeah, it's they're super really tall, tall, but they but they're are... not that tall. They can jump up to it and dunk on it. I know. And some of the people that were dunking weren't even like, I mean, it's not like they were like 6'5 or 6'10 or something. They were just like, some of them were regular height people. Yeah. They could do it. You're, you're either extremely tall 
Or you're a short person who can jump as high as Hinata from Haikyuu. Yeah, Hinata can jump and these people could jump too. It is insane. I felt like I learned so much about basketball season three. That was a great part of the experience was seeing all the clips from basketball and watching the show and seeing everyone's development was really awesome because I feel like the first two seasons were a lot of them learning all of the things that they that they then use in season three. I think it's really cool that they started him off as a passer, like being really good at passing. But that's still his main thing in season three. And like, but I think that's cool that the main character isn't this big show off dunker yeah. or something. Yeah. I mean, Kogami is the other main character in the show, I would say. And, and he's like that impressive dunker. But the main thing about the show is showing that you need your teammates but yeah, it was a great experience. I love Kuroko's basketball in general because I'm like, this is crazy. This is no, this is so insane. But then also learning about basketball because I've never really watched basketball at, like ever. I think I've, I don't think I've actually ever seen the NBA besides small clips of the NBA here and there in my life. I've always watched football, so it was really fun to learn more about and learn that it's really not so crazy. It's just exaggerated with colors, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so. So yeah, that was a that was a really fun experience overall. I had a great time with it. And I'm sad because apparently I think that's the last that's the last season of Kuroko's Basketball. And I want there to be more cuz I love I love that show. Maybe there's more in the manga. There is a movie. Hey. There is a movie. There you go. So maybe. So I also watched Vampire Hunter D, the original version. I don't have a ton to say about this. I think I was making a post for Instagram while watching this movie and I was kind of distracted. So there was that. But I mean, it felt like one of those older, like 80s cool main characters where they're very like aloof and the cool guy, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like doesn't really give into his feelings, doesn't really show much of his emotions, which... I've never really been too much into those characters. I mean, he was cool. I liked his character design. And the animation was really cool. Like, there's a lot of cool colors and stuff in it. That was really interesting. I thought it was a decent movie, but it wasn't really my favorite. One of my favorites. Um, It was was fun to watch, you know, for Halloween. It's October right now. So it was a good time to do that. It was all right. I was a little disappointed by it. I thought it would be more. So I also watched... The Way of the House has been part two, which just came out on Netflix. I was very excited to be able to watch that because I loved part one. And I feel like I'm very alone in loving this anime. Like, I don't hear hardly anyone talking about The Way of the House has been. But part two was good. I felt like it wasn't quite as good as the first part, to be completely honest. The first part had me laughing every single episode. It was hilarious. And I don't know if maybe I just got used to the idea of this this Yakuza guy just being a house husband. And so it wasn't as quite as funny the second time around, but it was still really good. It cracked me up. There was this one part that was hilarious where his wife brought a friend over and she was asking her about how to manage a household because she's a housewife now. And she's like, oh, I don't really know how to do that, but you should talk to my husband. He's perfect at it. He He's a great house husband. And so he's like super intensely like, here's what you need to do to do a budget. And he's like, all right, 
well, if you want to save some money, we can use that body of yours. And she was like, what? Cut to a scene of them and they're biking to this really far away grocery store. He's like, yeah, if you can, you can just bike to this grocery store. They always have some really good deals that you could save on. And it was just really funny. And he's teaching her about budgeting. And I don't know. It just really cracked me up. It was so funny. That body of yours, yeah, to bike, <laughs> to bike, to gro- yeah. It was just all these like. In- I think that's the funniest thing about that show is it's so stupid. Like, there's all these stupid innuendos about stuff. He'll be like, "Do you have that? Do you have that white powder?" And it sounds like they're talking about drugs, but it's just it's not. He's talking about like something for cooking or whatever. Flour, sugar. Yeah, just whatever it might be. I don't even know. And then there's an episode where he's. He's helping this guy barbecue outside and the police come because it looks like they're roasting evidence or something, but they're just like making a barbecue. (laughs) It was very dramatic. It was good. I mean, I thought it was really funny, but there's nothing quite like the first season where a Roomba, he has a Roomba and he's like, I'm inviting you on my turf. (laughs) I don't know. It was really funny. But the second, the second part was good too. So I also watched this anime called Angels of Death which I saw a couple of Zack cosplayers, who, who's the main one of the main characters in this anime, at Comic-Con. Are doing was an very Angels cool. of Death cosplay? Yeah, that was really cool. I was very excited to see that. I'm like, oh, we just watched this anime, and they got a Zack hoodie on, and one of them had his scythe, and it was really cool. So that was awesome to see. But anyway, Angels of Death, you haven't watched it. No. But it's basically about these people on these different floors. They don't really explain, like, where we are or what exactly we're doing here. They can kill people on their floor at this place. It's basically a bunch of crazy bad people that are there. Like, Zach, you know, we discover as we go along that he has this, like, horrible childhood where he was really badly abused. His mom's boyfriend set him on fire, tried to kill him. So he's scared of fire and... And then we learned that Rachel, the main character, who's this kind of little girl who's very emotionless a lot of the time, not very expressive. And she also had a really bad time growing up. Her dad was like physically abusive to her mom. It's very dark. But Zach is like a serial killer. I mean, we've seen him kill so many people. He's crazy. And they they make this um, pact together that if she helps him get out of the place, because he's not the smartest. So if she uses her brains to help them get out together, then he will kill her and she'll make like a face for him because she, she does, he doesn't want to kill her when she looks boring. So that was such a weird agreement, right? Yeah. Anime has some of those weird agreements though. But the thing is, as it goes on, like it's very endearing. I couldn't stop watching it. Their relationship is very sweet. Like they take care of each other. They help each other. She goes a little crazy at one point, but it's just very wholesome in a way. I don't know how to explain it. He He's afraid of people kind of touching him and stuff, but he lets her re-bandage him. He, like, literally cuts himself with his scythe to keep from having to hurt her because he wasn't going to hurt her yet. That wasn't going to be their agreement. So he didn't hurt her to save himself. He hurt himself instead to keep himself from hurting her. So they just, like protect each other and and care about each other a lot and it was very sweet he asked her to go to his floor while she's looking for medicine for him and get his knife which was a knife we found out was given to him by this old man that was really kind to him and then he gives it to her as like a present (laughs) and i'm just sitting there watching this like why am i feeling really emotional about some serial killer giving a knife to a girl who like sews her parents up together after they're dead 
Yeah, that's pretty uh, weird. It's really messed up, but there's something about it that felt really wholesome. So I don't know. I really liked it. (laughs) I feel weird saying it. Like when you lay it all out like that and you explain it to someone, it sounds really crazy and weird, which it was. But I had a great time watching it. I would definitely recommend this anime. It's a good time. I didn't get the best scores on my anime list, but I had a great time with it. So Those are the best anime when you find a gem and other people don't say the same thing that you think. We also watched, keeping up with the spooky anime, Another. Yeah. What do you think of Another, aka Final Destination, the anime? <laughs> <laughs> I really liked Another. It felt like I was watching one of those animes I'm going to remember for a long time. The main character girl is kind of unforgettable. Although they do this thing that to me kind of feels like, come on, like really, where... At the beginning, it's unclear if she's real or if she's a ghost. And she acts like a ghost the entire time. And it does not stop when you find out she's real. Okay, that annoyed me. I liked it better when I thought maybe she wasn't real. And then when I found out she was just being the ignored student by everybody because they weren't allowed to have an extra student, I was like, then why are you so weird? There's this weird lore behind her. Like, she has a doll's eye. Yeah, it made sense that she was weird when she was a ghost. Yeah, but then once we found out she was just some girl, why are you so weird then, girl? And then also she's like, I can see with my eye who isn't alive anymore. I'm like, yeah, girl, who's then, close to death? then tell us. Like, the people in your class are dying. They are killing each other because they think they're the extra student. Like, y'all are on vacation and you all are dying in this murder house. Tell somebody what who the person is. There needed to be a scene where it shows her using her abilities over and over and over again in nothing coming from it, in the death happening anyway, and she can't stop it. And that will lead to a fatalistic attitude, right? Like, yeah. oh, I everything I'm doing is failing. But it doesn't make sense. She's just like, yeah, I can see death with my eye, but I just ignore it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and then she's like, oh, I knew it was Reiko for a long time. I just didn't want to tell you. I'm like, what about all your other classmates who are now dead because you didn't say anything and you don't act like you care at all? Like, girl. It, it really makes you hate her. I know. Yeah, it made me not like her. I'm like, you could have told him and then let him decide from there what he wanted to do. If we're assuming that she's just like a regular girl, then screw her. She could have saved people's lives. I know. There's like 10 students that are dead because she wasn't willing to say anything. Like, girl, come on. I mean, sure, she didn't know ahead of time that if she had told somebody and they killed that person, that it would save people's lives. It sure would have been nice while every one of her classmates was trying to kill each other for her to be like, wait, I have the answer. I know who it is. It's Reiko. Also, wouldn't it be convenient for her to discover who the extra student is? Because she was being treated poorly because of it. I know. But then it turned out to not even be a student. It was the assistant homeroom teacher. I know. But they kept saying that she was the extra student and it was making her life horrible because nobody would talk to her. You know, such is life, I guess. But I I mean, overall, I liked it. I feel like it was an interesting concept. It was very Final Destination, which I liked, but I do feel like it could have been a little bit better. I feel like the mystery parts of it could have been better, but overall, I thought it was pretty good. It is very Final Destination. It's like, this is just a fact of life. We all have to accept it. It just keeps happening. We're all trying to work around it. It has rules that make sense. It happens before. It does that Stephen King it thing where like, 
There's just stuff that happens that make it so that even though you would think that humans would figure out a way around it, well, people forget how it works naturally. Yeah, it feels like there's no way around it. And so it kind of explains a lot of that stuff. So I felt like that was all done well, where the idea of the lore was all done well. It just, it didn't make sense to me. And the doll's eye being able to see death didn't make sense to me, really. Yeah, Uh, I agree. Like, where'd that come from? I don't know. Is she just Chunibio? Be real with me. <laughs> I think she is. I think she's literally just a Chunibio. What if girl. she's just really smart and like knows who it is, and she just doesn't want to admit it? Yeah. And so she like claims that the eye can see death or something. She probably goes home and laughs about it. She, he really fell for me when I was this weird, freaky ghost girl. Now I have to keep this up for the rest of my life. <laughs> So, I also watched episodes 3 through 11 of Dororo, which has been a great show so far. Very emotional. It's been pretty cool because Hayakamaru, the guy with um, the sword arms, he's been uh, getting parts of his body back, and that's been very interesting. The more demons he defeats, the more parts of his body he gets back, which is very interesting. So, that was cool. His relationship with Dororo, who I found out, I had no idea, is actually a girl. Dororo was a girl? Yeah, it was a reveal. It was crazy. I had no idea. We learned about her backstory, which was really sad, actually, about her parents and how she became an orphan. That was sad. But it's been cool seeing them get closer. Hikamaru has learned to talk a little bit. Like, he can say some stuff. That's That's been pretty cool. He got a nose, so he's been smelling everything. He can hear. And it was really sweet. He met this girl, Mio, and all of the other noises were very loud for him and it was hard for him to understand them but she would sing in her voice calmed him and he, he liked listening to her but she got killed <laughs> along with a bunch of the orphan children she was taking care of and it was so sad i met her i saw her on the screen i'm getting good at this i'm getting good at figuring out who's gonna be you saw her and you were die. like immediately I'm like, he's dead she's he's gonna dead. die i just know she's gonna die but you know that doesn't make it any less sad when you watch it it was really sad but you know i'm about halfway through and um it's just been really good there's a lot of cool fight scenes a lot of good emotion he just met his brother he doesn't know he's his brother yet and his brother's trying to understand why his dad is so obsessed about this child and why there's all this worry about this child being around again and hikamaru is is the child that that they sacrificed for their land to prosper and so it'll be interesting to see where he goes with that how his brother takes learning that information we'll see we'll see and I also watched To Your Eternity, which is very, and, and ironically, kind of similar to Dororo. In that show, he, lear- he learns how to talk. Fushi learns how to talk. And so I'm like watching two anime with two characters learning how to talk at the same time. <laughs> really? Yeah. And then we're going to watch Komi Can't Communicate. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be learning and the, everybody <laughs> will learn how to talk. But in the episodes I watched, 6 through 12, there is a whole arc about Fushi joining up with this woman and in this old man. He makes alcohol and stuff. It's also a story about this kid, Gugu, who he meets. And I fell in love with this kid when I first met him. I think he might remind me a little bit of Naruto because 
his brother like ditches him takes all their money and he's alone and has no one and he's just trying to figure out what he's supposed to do with his life and then he meets this girl that he likes but she's like this rich princess girl and to save her he like knocks her out of the way and then he gets a giant log on his face and his face is like jacked up beyond repair and he turns into this monster looking guy and this old man saves him and when he the old man saves him he puts alcohol inside him as like an experiment like there's a little alcohol in his belly it's like bad thing after bad thing just keeps happening to this poor child and so even he tries so hard and he works so hard and when he meets fushi he like teaches fushi how to do all of these different things fushi learns how to talk a lot from him like fushi learns how to cook fushi learns how to do chores all from goo goo and then fushi like gets involved with this weird forest creature who's trying to steal parts of his identity like parts of people that he's become it's it's kind of complicated i don't fully understand it yet and Gugu saves him from that. And it was just a beautiful relationship. And then the girl Reen is comes around too. She's still still in the in the story and she kinda ha- seems to have a thing for Fushi, but then her and Gugu grow really close together and it's very cute and their relationship develops. It's just very cute. And then years pass by and um Gugu has a glow up. He's basically Inosuke from Demon Slayer. He's all like a big dude now. And he's got an upgraded head because he has this head covering because of his face being messed up. And the old man that he lives with makes him a head that can spit out fire. It's pretty cool. He's voiced by Bryce Pappenbrook now. Living his best life. Obviously, him and Reen are like falling in love. It's very beautiful. They're getting closer to each other. They talk about her getting married but she she wants to be married to Gugu is it is revealed and right as they're like about to confess their love for each other move forward a cliff breaks like literally a cliff just like breaks and he starts to fall and I'm like oh my god he's gonna die what the heck and then he's saved and it's okay and it's fine but this creature has finally come back for Fushi after like four years right and they get into a battle and Fushi and Gugu are fighting this creature and then it looks like Gugu's gonna get hurt but Reen out of nowhere comes knocks him out of the way saves him I'm like all right all right Gugu's not gonna die because this whole time just knowing to your eternity I'm like Gugu's dead Gugu's gonna die I just know it don't get too attached but of course I'm already in love with him like I love Gugu I'm like calling him my son in my head But then something happens and the castle or whatever that they're in falls apart, breaks down, and Gugu is on top of Reen holding up a bunch of the rubble so that it doesn't fall on top of her, but it's on his back. And they talk to each other about how they love each other and she gives him a kiss through his mask and then he dies. And Fushi promised him that when he dies, he would become Gugu because he becomes the people who die who are important to him. And like you see him fighting and he becomes Gugu and he's like, no, Gugu's not dead. Gugu's not dead. And I'm like crying. Like, why is this happening? I knew this was going to happen. This is like the little girl march all over again. And I promised myself after being hurt by that, that I wouldn't fall in love again. And I did it anyway. And I was so upset. Now I am officially not loving anyone else in two year attorney because they're all going to die. No more love. No more. I can't. Can't do it anymore. It was painful. So we also watched 
Tatami Galaxy. Finally finished it. It got easier to read. It did get easier to read. Overall, I liked it. I thought it was cool. I thought that the last part was really interesting, how he just figured out that kind of no matter what path he may have taken, he would have still ended up like himself no matter what, right? Honestly, I kind of felt just a little bit like it was repetitive and somewhat boring. I was expecting a lot out of this anime. The part that I really really got entranced by was his relationship with Ozu, his relationship with the girl, and then the tatami world that he got trapped in that was really for cool. a while there that was kind of cool where it like all came together like that the rest of it it was just it was such a hassle to try to understand it all and like try to read all of the subtitles and it's like why is it just the same thing over and over again in this weird way i thought it was a really cool concept and i thought that the animation was really cool and i liked how at the end he sees ozu for who he fully is and not just like this evil villain man Ozu's awesome. Ozu is awesome. I really liked it, but I think that the one thing that it was a disconnect for me was, you know, he's expecting a rose-colored life, going through life with rose-colored glasses, and I've never once been that person in my whole life. I've always planned for the worst in my head. I've always expected, like, something isn't going to happen right. I've always been a very realistic, practical person where I don't think that life is rose-colored at all. So that lesson was not for me, even remotely. So I can't I can't really relate to feeling that way or thinking that way. When he's like, oh, life isn't rose-colored, it's just life, I'm like, well, duh. 100%. It's one of those lessons that you only need to learn if you are disillusioned rather than one of those lessons that are built into the human experience not to say like i'm some pessimist or something you're a realist i'm just very realistic practical person but i thought it was really good my favorite parts of that were ozu too like all of his antics and the main character just having to deal with them that was amazing i loved it he was just great to the end last one before we get into our seasonal anime we watched full dive which was an interesting concept we finished that last time we'd watched one through six so the ending i thought was good i still feel like every once in a while we i randomly pick an anime and it ends up being amazing this is one of those where it's like completely random that i thought this was going to be good and boom it was like i've never heard of this anime before i'm a little disappointed in the ending i was hoping for a bit more it kind of ended somewhat satisfying with him burning his system and then it starts up again like oh my gosh what's gonna happen next and he's gonna go and try again and then it just ends what why season two there is there gonna be a season i don't two? know <laughs> we'll see rude rude we'll of see. it to end that way yeah but i did like how he like kept trying and and how he uh, kept fighting and figured out how to make that work for him and he became a mercenary part of the mercenary group although i do disagree with where they ended it i thought that that story beat was amazing i genuinely felt this moment of whoa this anime is really cool when i was like oh he lost his character and now if he goes back to play the game again he's a different character and he doesn't have to deal with i peed myself the only person that likes me is a sadist and i'm a friend murderer he can now go and be a regular person if he ever wants to challenge the game again but then he goes and he desperately looks for a way to try 
and get his old life back. And he was like, you know what? No, all that stuff that I did, it was important to me. And you know what? I'm not just going to try to find a shortcut and just do it the right way. I'm going to take this and I'm going to go back and get my old life back and learn to improve and be better. And he works really, really hard training to go back into the game and try again even though his life sucked. And I thought that was so cool that it was like, you know what? No, this life, I may have been handed a bad set of cards, but this is worth it to me. I'm going to do it right. And like, you can't have a worse life than that, than like being suspected right. of killing your friend and like peeing yeah, yourself in front of everybody. horrible. Like, that's about as bad as it gets. And he wanted it back so that he could win. You know what? Everyone should have that attitude. That's great. You only get yeah. one life. Go for it. I agree. So, last three we're going to talk about is our seasonals. We finished both Dragon Maid S, My Hero Season 5, and we started a new seasonal, My Senpai is Annoying. Which one do you want to talk about first? Let's go with Dragon Maid. I was disappointed in the last episode of Dragon Maid. I was too. It was very cute. I just want to be clear. I thought Dragon Maid S was an excellent anime. I was expecting something transcendent from the last episode. And we got like an arm wrestling contest. Like, I don't know why Toru's dad was featured in this season, really. Toru was trying to trick Kobayashi into marrying her right then and there. And she was not about it. And then she runs away. Like, if there's going to be a romance part in the end, it can't just be the status quo again. I want them to move forward in their relationship, and I feel like they haven't. I get annoyed in anime when it feels like they're just doing the same thing over and over again. And the main difference in this season is twofold. Number one, Ilulu exists and is making progress. Number two, the Toru and the food girl that's obsessed with food. I don't remember her name. Their relationship gets a little better. And I guess Shota and uh, Luka, their relationship, we see it move forward. But what is this with Toru and Kobayashi? Why why don't we get to see them move forward in their relationship? I guess Toru Maybe it gets more mature, and we see that. Yeah, Kobayashi needs to do something. I wanted it to to like be deep, and maybe this is just the classic Kyoto animations. Two seasons where the season two has a part two that is deep and transcendent, and we're just not understanding that. But as far as I know, it's just the first part, and that's it. There there is no second part. So maybe we'll get a second part to Dragon Maid S, and it'll blow our minds. But so far, I'm not mind blown yet. So we also finished My Hero Season 5, and learning about Shigaraki's backstory was insane. That episode where he kills his family was crazy, and his fight with Redestro was intense. That was probably, like, my favorite thing about the whole season. My favorite part was the toga part. But of yeah. course, of course. <laughs> but I, I gotta say, that was some amazing animation and voice work and it was everything from the Shigaraki stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa. It looks like from the ending that it's setting up to be, like, this huge organization that they're gonna have to fight and that Hawks has been trying to warn them about. And looks like season six is gonna maybe be focused on how that all wraps up and how the UA students deal with all that. So I I will say I feel like I did like this season better than season four. I feel like season four had higher highs, but it wasn't as consistently good. Like there were low lows, but I feel like this season was very consistent, but there weren't a ton of highs in it. I'm getting tired of my hero feeling like a setup for something. 
Yeah, it needs to finally reach the part where yeah. it's no longer a setup. And I feel like season six will do that, but like, if it I doesn't it <laughs> feel like the most epic thing in the world, yeah, then I'm serious. I'm okay with setup. It's not my favorite thing. I feel like things should just be good if they're good mm-hmm. and not be a setup for something. But I get it. Sometimes you have multi arc narratives, and my hero doesn't have a bajillion episodes like some of the other anime. So sometimes one season is going to be a setup, but two seasons being a setup is too long. And if the next season and the season after that both basically aren't brilliant, there's a chance for my hero to do something truly great here. So it better be like the most amazing, most beautiful animation ever because otherwise it's fallen right off my top list because it would be up there next to like the other great shonens because it does Mm -hmm. some amazing stuff in those first seasons, even better than some of the other shonens, in my opinion, even though some people critique it for being unoriginal. It improves on some things, but now it's just feeling boring. But I, th- I still think it was a good season overall. The beginning with the s- class fights and everything, that, that was another highlight for me. This last part, I thought it was all pretty solid, really good. I liked I liked my villain academia. I thought it was good. And I'm, I'm excited to see what happens in season six, which was confirmed. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm curious how this, the series works if you take out my villain academia and you just skip it. Like if it's filler or something. Does it make more sense that way? Like, are we just watching filler? What's the deal? I don't think so. I think it was canon. It is canon. But I just feel like the pacing is off. I feel like there should be something that's happening right now. And I know that it's happening side by side with other stuff we've seen. So like, what's the deal? Yeah, I guess we'll find out, right? So the last thing we watched was the first episode of My Senpai is Annoying, which we both fell in love. Oh, my word. I had so many fuzzy feelings. Like, I felt this way about Nagatoro, too, where the first episode I was like, yes, this is it. This is what I wanted to see. And this one, I'm like, whoa, this is it. I saw this manga. Somebody was recommending it on TikTok. Apparently, I just know manga from TikTok now. And somebody was recommending it, and I was like, oh, it kind of looks like the relationship I'm in, where like I'm tall my wife is short that's cool and I was really excited to check it out and I went to read it but then I saw it was getting an anime so I like only skimmed it a little bit and I was unimpressed with the manga but whoa that first episode of the anime was so good it's so cute he's her boss at work and the way that she takes care of him like when he was working too late that night and she left him something to drink in the morning because he was he was working hard on something that she she had messed up and he was trying to help her with it and just seeing him encourage her and seeing her take care of him too it was just so wholesome obviously the main character reminds me of you in a lot of ways mm-hmm. so it's very and obviously the main character reminds me of you in a yeah, lot of ways so it was fun to watch that is a perfect anime for us to watch together it's very cute i don't know if other people will love it as much as us because i feel like it is very like tailored to people like us because even the characters remind me personality wise too not just like looks wise of each other i think that guys that like the type of girl that she is or just like cute girls Mm -hmm. will like the anime and i think that girls that like romance will like this anime just in general which i bet more girls will like it than guys oh yeah because it's super adorable it's It's super cute i would i would not expect a romance anime to have so much focus on the main girl and how cute she is 
you didn't say you thought that that's what the anime was doing when we were watching it. You were like, she's not that cute. But I was watching it and I was like, oh my word, just her by herself. I think that's one of my favorite things about it is that she doesn't have a hundred friends that are girls that she hangs out with all the time. She's just alone at her apartment doing random stuff and the anime is good. And I'm like, yeah, you you cook that yeah, food. Yeah, but like, that, their relationship is what makes it be the cute. best. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're so cute together. Oh, and the the end of the episode. Oh, my God. He's like... When he took her out drinking, he said, when I think about, like, my family, like, if I had a wife and a child, I would want you to be that child. And then she was like, why Why can't can't I I be be your wife? wife? Oh, my word. (laughs) I really hope that the next episode has that be real and be part of the episode because you could easily see a romance anime where it just moves on to the next scene and their relationship is back to status quo i hope not i want to see him respond to that question me too i feel like it has a lot of potential and i'm very excited to see more yeah i am super excited i might just rewatch the first episode over and over again i liked it that much (laughs) it was so cute i liked it that much i think the second episode's already out but i want to wait this is the kind of anime that i want to savor such a good anime highly recommended if you haven't seen it yet we kind of spoiled some parts but like the way that he looks at her and the way that she looks at him they're both so good they're both so good there's this part during the meeting where she messes up and then he saves her and she looks at him like all starry-eyed and so uh, admiring and appreciative that's the kind of senpai you want right but then he won't admit that she's this mature woman that he wants to marry and she's like annoying senpai (laughs) right oh it was great all right well that does it for this episode of talk no jutsu so thank you all so much for listening thanks for listening